Hey, hey everybody, it's a Scoots here, and I'm always, you know, I'm always looking for something lulling and soothing, but a little bit different or original to do to put you to sleep. And I know unboxing videos have been a big thing, you know, since uh, since a long time. You know, everybody, and it can be interesting, or you go you go online to watch reviews and stuff. And so I thought we'd do an un- like this is an unboxing, like a lulling unboxing. It's not going to be technology though, but this will be an actual. Uh, I guess it won't be a live unboxing as I'm recording it. Like I, I'll be here actually unboxing this uh, for real. So and and I think it's very. It's not you know I just didn't pick something like okay we're going to unbox a, a bag of sponges. Uh, because, well, that wouldn't take an hour either. It's, okay, it's open. Uh, but actually, to speaking of sponges, this one came from my brother Carl. Uh, it, already off topic, uh, tra- tra- straight into Trader Joe's. But it was my brother Carl. He said uh, that Trader Joe's has these sponges. I think he told me this like five, six years ago. And he doesn't even normally shop at a, like a, like Trader Joe's, I don't think. But uh he was like, you got to get these Trader Joe's natural sponges. And my brother Ken, like, he started buying them, so he told me about them. And that's all, like, that's, like you don't unbox them, you unbag them. And they're, like, uh, shrivel, like, they're the dried sponges. Then you get them wet, and they go to full size. They're not inexpensive, but they are so well made. Like, the sponge never comes apart, and, and then, you know, you just get rid of it when it's, uh, Whenever, whenever it's past its prime, I don't know. That's kind of hurtful for a sponge to hear. I was gonna say they, when it starts to stink, and then you spray it with, uh, or when it's covered in like where you say, well, you're just too, you're too. I guess it's kind of like meat. You're too covered in grease stains and and stuff. Uh, then the sponge goes away. Uh, sorry, sponge. Any sponges that are listening, I apologize. Uh, sorry about that. How did this, uh, in the world of sponges, this just became a podcast to keep you up, uh, podcast to keep sponges, but they do a great job, those sponges. I think they're, I think it's $11 for like a pack of eight or $8 for a pack of 11, uh, sleep with me. The podcast about the sponges and sponge, you know, sponge, I can't, we can't talk about it too much cause it'll go off the rails. So this is a this is a first on Sleep with Me. Maybe I don't if we've done so many episodes, but I don't think I've ever done an unboxing. And of course, I know some of you are sitting on the edge of your. Hopefully, none of you are sitting on the edge of your bed. Maybe on the edge of your pillow. Saying, Scoots, what are we going to unbox? And well, I say, don't worry. Like it'll, I'm going to take forever to get there. I got a story about it, of course. Uh, and you, you know, it'll maybe I don't know. It'll probably be the title. I don't know what the title of that episode's going to be, but you'll find out. It's nothing too exciting, but it is it's just interesting enough to take your mind off stuff, of course. So let's see. Let's talk about routines, I guess, first, because uh, I don't know if I've talked about this routine that I've tried to develop, and I can already feel my insides getting a little tight. And we've talked about this on the show, the C word, C-L-U-T-T-E-R. And, you know, a little bit of the chaos involved. And then I tend to have some of that in my life. And I I found what really is effective for me is setting a timer. And But I have to do it every night of saying, okay, let's just work on this, uh, like filing stuff, 
or working in a cabinet for five minutes, and then maybe if we can go longer. And I wish that wasn't the case, but it just is for me. And, like, I have noticed that that's powerful if you keep it up. Uh, but then what, what? this is just being honest. My default is that then one night I'll be like, I can't possibly handle five minutes of organization stuff. Please give me a break. And then that turns into, like, six months. Uh, and I think it is one of those self-perpetuating things. Like, I think the part of me that's saying that is really up to no good. And it's just got to be like, okay, we'll just do it for five minutes, and you could handle it for five minutes, just like we do with a little kid if you're reparenting yourself or whatever, like I'm trying to do. And say, just we'll just do it for five minutes. Then when the timer goes off, we don't have to do it anymore. There even is a logical thing. It's based on, uh, like, fake numbers. But I always say, like, well, five minutes is like 10,000 more minutes uh, or 10,000% more than zero. And I guess that little kid part of me says, like, it can make my kid feel good. Oh, wow, really? That much more than zero? And, you know, because I think just, I, I don't know, I don't want to dig too deep into it because I'm not super cluttered. But I just have, I mean, with the podcast, there's a lot of stuff inbound and then I'm producing a lot of notes and it's tough to keep all that organized. And I don't really have any spare time, like the five minutes after I watch Star Wars before I go to bed or Star Trek, excuse me, Star Trek. And but that works if I do it consistently. So I was doing it in a. Like, even if I want to procrastinate, I say, we'll just do something for five minutes then. Because they say, well, I don't know, like something about um, filing, like it gives me, like just really stressful. Like, I don't know if it's the bills or whatever. So then the other night, I said, I can't handle that. And I said, well, let's just do something else for five minutes then. Like, so organize this little cabinet here. And then I got a look in the first cabinet. I said, well, how about we just shove stuff in here for five minutes? Because I don't know if I could handle uh, look and they said, "Well, let's just try another cabinet then." And I said, "Okay." So we went on to this next cabinet, and they said, "Let's just pick some stuff out that we could throw." Like, uh, and in the cabinet was uh, like some uh, like uh, DVDs, like a big organizer, one of those uh, ones that zips up of DVDs. That's never been like uh, I don't know when I stopped watching. I don't have a way to watch DVDs. Maybe you could do that on the Xbox, but uh, I don't really watch DVDs. They still have uh, the organizer of them. And and, and then that one's a tough say, well, what do I do with these DVDs? Because a lot of them were uh, backups or stuff. So, but then I started digging around and there's like a computer that I'm trying, like it's a little bit underpowered, but I'm saving it for some, you know, some, some project one, one day. So there's that. And I started rifling around in there, and I was literally, I said, okay, let's just pick a couple of things we can recycle, a couple of things we could throw out, and a couple of things we could put up, you know, put in order here. And this is when I found this box, and what was the box is, it was a Christmas gift to me, and it was part of a Christmas gift. It was part of the, uh, well, I guess maybe there, there's there's a box within a box, so more answers may come, but it was part of a Goonies boxed set someone gave me for Christmas one time. And I think it was the Goonies 20th anniversary edition, so it would have been 2002 maybe? I don't know, no, no, Goonies didn't come out in 82. 
maybe 2006, 86, I think it probably came out, or 85. I don't know. Um, but, like, so it was a box set, and the box set wasn't in there, so we're not going to open the box set. Uh, but we what we are going to open is within the box set was this uh, Goonies board game. And I'm holding the box within a box now, and it says the Goonies for two to four players. And the box is made to, I guess, look like, it doesn't look like a treasure box quite. It looks like a picture frame box or something. But so it's got like a little fake metal corners and then like wood. And then in the square within the wood, if it was a picture frame, it says the Goonies. And it's uh, the, in little letters, and then Goonies in that Goonies font with the, uh, I dotted by, um, you know, friend of one-eyed Willie's, and it says for two to four players, and then there's a map, uh, like a treasure map, and then its treasure map is torn, and through we're seeing through the treasure map uh, the sky, the setting sun, a ship with its sails unfurled. And then a rock, and then these kids looking at the ship and pointing at it. Now, it's a drawing. Uh, it's clearly uh, stylized, uh, so it's not a shot from the movie. And I guess if you saw this, you'd think Brant was the main character. Brad, Brant, Brad, Brant, Brant. Like, I always get his name mixed up because he's standing and pointing. He's got his headband on. He's holding a staff like he was an elvish... Uh, like wizard or something next to him maybe andy but it, she looks a very small and too young uh then on his knees on the ground i believe is chunk lawrence right lawrence is his real name uh, then down the rocks in front of Brant, it looks like uh martha plimpton's character who of course i don't know like uh and then two other characters on either side of Martha Plimpton, one assuming mouth and one assuming data. Oh, you know what, though? Huh, I'm getting mixed up because then at the bottom is someone who I would assume is Mikey, but uh, he's got like a ribbon flowing off his outfit. Uh, I don't know what that is. It looks very D&D. So that could be Martha Plimpton, because didn't she have a sweater on with, uh, uh, like, a attached belt? Uh, and then the person I thought was Martha Stu or Martha Plimpton could be Data with his hair slicked back. It looked like maybe something, I thought it was hair, but maybe it's something sticking out of his backpack. So they're all standing on a rock pointing at one-eyed Willie Shipper looking at it. Like, kind of something out of, like, an adventure, the front page of an adventure book. And then there's, like, a Goonies-style crest, a circle with a, a circular uh, writing that says, based on the blockbuster adventure movie. Then there's, like, a One-Eyed Willie's friend with a Goonies, like, a hat with a Goonies bandana on it. Oh, no, that is One-Eyed Willie. Uh, then the left and the right side of the back say, uh, Goonies board game. And then they have the WB thing. And then uh, the box is open. Uh, but within the box is like a sealed plastic container. 
And on the bottom, it says, uh, like, it's like a label. It says warning. It says uh, conforms to safety stuff. Age is 14 and plus. Uh, so just in case you were planning on playing this uh, with your kids, you can't. It's ages 14 and up. So PG, this game's PG-14. And it says Goonies trademark Warner Brother Entertainment. Uh, then on the other side, it says the Goonies 20, 25th anniversary uh, board game. So that would have been maybe 2011 then, or 2019, like uh, uh, the Goonies 25th anniversary collection board game. And on top of the cover is like an even cooler map. Uh, geez, let me get to, let me get some more light on here and, and we'll get into some more details. All right, so I did some plastic removing so I get a better view. But so, like, uh, this is like, uh, there's a map, and then it says the Goonies 25th anniversary board game. I think I said that. Then there's a silhouette, and then, of course, the, the largest figure in the silhouette is uh, Sloth. And Sloth seems to be holding the hands of two children. One, I would assume, is Chunk, uh, just because his body type. And then the other one... I guess it's Andy because she's wearing a skirt, and uh, but her hair seems shorter. Then to the right of Andy is Brant, or Brant, Brant, with his hands in his pockets. Uh, then holding Chunk's hand is someone I could only assume is Mouth, and then Mouth is holding Martha Plimpton's hand presumably, and then Martha Plimpton is holding Mikey's hand, and then Data is running to join them, like, because, uh, yeah, because Data's like a raincoat with a cape or whatever is behind, like, flowing behind him. Uh, but the background's very interesting. There's a giant G, looks like some sort of doubloon, doubloon. Uh, then there's like uh, some things you'd see on a map, like uh, sea sea creatures. Uh, then there's like an old uh, Spanish bloom or whatever. It says P O S V D E eighty five. Like maybe one of the things they use for wayfinding. Then there's a map. Then I think is there's the squid that only appeared in like on YouTube cuts of the movie. There's some clams, uh, a little bit of an island or something. And then this is also the instructions. Now, of course, I want to dig into the game before we go through the instructions, but let's just uh, like do a little bit. Uh, it's for two to four players, the Goonies game, trademarked, by the way, Goonies. And so I don't know if I can, does that mean I can't use it in the title of the podcast? Probably not. Maybe if I put it in quotes. Uh, but the objective is to be the first player to escape One-Eyed Willie's cave uh, with at least three gold doubloons. Doubloons. Doubloons, if I'm doing it phonetically. And then the contents, maybe I shouldn't tell you the contents because yeah, that'll be more fun. So I'm going to open up. Uh, so that's the instructions, which maybe we'll have time to get to. Maybe we won't. I mean, I much prefer digging into the, uh, what do you call this? The uh, ephemera of the game or the, the physical stuff okay so digging in i'm gonna have to pause it but there seems to be a game board actually and it's hard i was thinking the whole time i never opened this because i was like oh wow like i don't like uh, board games without a board 
This seems to be a well-folded board, and it's in plastic, so open that. Uh, then there's also a deck of cards, uh, game cards. Uh, then there's some bases, like I think for the characters to stand on, like if they're cardboard, there's a green base, a blue base, a yellow base, a orange base, and a red base, uh, you know, just for, like, to represent characters, I think they're going to stand on these bases. Okay, yeah, and then there's, uh, holy cow, uh, we're going to have to dig into this one, but yeah, then there's characters, but they're headshots of the characters, and I'm not trying to be funny. I have no idea. The top character looks like uh, Hermione. Um, yeah, like uh, um, Emma Emma Watson. Is that who plays Hermione? Uh, and then it's in a package. And then the other side is clearly Corey Feldman. Very, I mean, obviously he was young, but holy cow. He definitely, like, is, he, he's got a like a winning smile on there. And then there's another a little package of uh, paper coins. I could assume these are the doubloons. So what I'll do is I'll open up the board and the cards and the uh, characters, and I'll be right back. Okay, so I'm back here, and I've opened. I haven't looked at the game board because I don't want to do that without you. I would not do that to you, you know. And I'm just realizing that there's probably some people that are. Um, like like young young like younger people or older people that might not know what Goonies is. Uh, so Goonies was a movie in the 1980s. I think it's pretty uh, ingrained into our cultural lexicon. Uh, but it was an adventure movie, like a, like very similar uh, to Stranger Things, but a little bit more uh, aimed at children than adults. Uh, but the same sense of young people on an adventure where there are stakes. And uh, so, so yeah, you really, and it was just had a huge impact on me. Um, so it might be worth checking out. I, like, uh, but so I, I'm going to go through these are the character pieces. And again, the first one I see, I assume maybe it isn't Andy. Maybe we'll come back or maybe she didn't want to have her picture taken or maybe the Andy in my mind is just different than the Andy character, but it does look a lot like Emma Watson. Um, so that's the first character. Then you have uh, Mouth, I think that's his name, uh, played by Corey Feldman, which I shouldn't have said because I'm not going to know all the characters, everybody who played everybody. Probably, well, that'd be the- then we have Mikey. And Mikey's headshot is definitely a shot from the movie. I'm not sure the other two headshots. He's looking behind him. His head is, like, wet. And he's, like, reacting, like, in a little bit of amazement to something. And, yeah, so then we have Data, who also his headshot looks like like it's from the movie. Forget how young these characters were, because he's kind of looking at something... And then we have Chunk, uh, who's also looking like he's smiling and saying something. I think he's saying, hey, guy, hey, you guys, or, hey, he's got a big smile. So I'll be a little bit honest. It's not exactly. It's an interesting choice. So we'll see with the gameplay that you can't be Brant or Martha Plimpton's character, whose name, you know, whose character name I don't know. 
Um, but I just think that's uh, strange. I get a little bit that, uh, the, that, uh, those two characters were left out. I don't know. I mean, really, it's, it, I don't know, like, but it, I mean, who am I to judge? I, like, I can't, you know, I'm, I've had this game sitting in a drawer somewhere for uh, years. And then the uh, next thing to look at is these doubloons, doubloon, doubloons, I guess. And most of them are gold doubloons. So I don't know if we'll need to shuffle them. And on one side, is they're pretty small. Like they're about the size of my thumbnail. Everything is trademarked, by the way. So don't think about uh, using this. And then on the other side is an image of one-eyed willy. And uh, there's, uh, yeah, we should count them. You're right, Scoots. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine. There's ten in my hand, and there's also some in the box. So how'd you fall asleep? Well, I was counting doubloons. Scoot was counting doubloons. He was trying to say doubloons. Doubloons from... Uh, then he was counting them from the Goonies board. There's a Goonies board game? Well, it's only included in the 25th anniversary edition. And 99% of people are like Scoots. They, they didn't even bother opening the game. There's also three doubloons that are um, different. So I don't know. And they say on one side, they say go back. And then on the other side is like one of like these are black instead of gold. And then on the other side is an image of someone like One-Eyed Willie, but not One-Eyed Willie. They have two, you know, maybe Chester Copperpot. I'm not positive, though, because they're not wearing. It's just a headshot. And then we have the cards, and the cards say the Goonies 25th Anniversary Collector Edition on the back, and then they have uh, like a map theme, and then on the top left side of the card, there's the balloons, like it looks like actually a picture of them. And then on the lower right side, it's like a map-type image of a sailing ship, presumably... You can't even name the, you know, One-Eyed Willie's ship. I don't know what it was called. But, of course, we'll count the cards. Uh, I don't know. I, let, let me see if I can do it quietly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 14 Goonies, 15 Goonies, 16 Goonies. I'm losing my breath. 17 Goonies, 18, 19, 20, 21 Goonies sitting in a tree, 22 Goonies sitting with me, 25 Goonies kissing a bee, 25 Go Oh, I messed up my count. I'm not kidding either. I'm going to try to get back to 25 as fast as I can. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five. All right, let's just focus on counting these other ones, Scoots. Twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight Goonies, twenty-nine Goonies, thirty Goonies on cards, forty, forty-one. 42, 43, 44, 45. I think we're going to have 52, 46, 47, 
48, 49, 54 uh, Goonies cards. Uh, now let's take a look at some of these cards, you know. Let's let's have some fun. The first one I see is a zero, and it's silver. So I don't know if there's like a Uno aspect to this because it has a zero, the number zero, and it's silver. And it also says force one player to give one of their gold doubloons to another player. Uh, then the next card is, a, card is a red four. And there's a lot of good artwork. So uh, it's a four, F-O-U-R. Then it has four in Roman numerals. But the four also, the font looks like a candied. Um, uh, it's a gem, a red gem color um, in a font that you'd associate with the Goonies. And then behind it is, what is that, a Jolly Roger, like a, a map, but it has an image of the Jolly Roger behind it. Uh, so that's a, a card with a four on it. Uh, then we have a zero card again. I guess these are ones move the player in the lead back six places. And in the background of the zero cards is a ship, uh, like a drawing of a ship on a map. Uh, then we have a two, a red two card, very similar to the red four. Then we have a zero card. Play this card at any time, even if it's not your turn, to cancel the effects of another special movement card. Then draw a card. So this would be good if they try to take your doubloon or make you move back. So that's another silver zero. Okay, this increases my speculation that this is an Uno-like game because this is a green four card we're seeing now. Uh, now a yellow or gold six uh, card. And then a green three, uh, then a yellow three. Ooh, beautiful. Then there's a five, and it's a uh, beautiful aquamarine color. Really like that one. Uh, then a gold two, or a, no, no, yellow two. You're right, you're right, brain. Then an aquamarine three, a red three, a zero, put any player into lockup, uh, green six. So I think the highest number is six, uh, a zero. If you are in lockup, play this card to free yourself and move your piece to the space in front of the player that is in the lead. Now that is a powerful card. Like one where you could almost wait till, here's a strategic maneuver of a game I've never played. If you have this card, get put in lockup right close to the end of the game and you'll win. If you have the doubloons, uh, green three, yellow four, green two, yellow three. This is is this like is this what unboxing videos are like? Well, except without this part, scoots. Uh, aquamarine four. Also, it's in a video, but uh. Uh, Ruby Red 5, you're right. Give me more the Aquamarini 2, Ruby Red 3, a 0, Silver 0. Snap a swap any two players' positions on the board. Uh, Ruby Red 2, a 0. Move forward to the closest white crystal space. Bump any player you pass as if you landed on them. Oh, so this is a mystery. Like, so if you two players can't share the space, same space in this game, what do we say? We can't say ruby green. Uh, uh, green jello four. Uh, jello jiggler green four. Green jello jiggler four. Uh, 
Goldenrod 5, uh, Jello Green Jiggler 2, Goldenrod 3, Aquamarini 4, uh, Ruby Red 6, Aquamarini 3, Ruby Red 3, a zero swap places with any other player's piece, including lockup. Oh, wow. So if you have this, you could swap places, go to lockup, and then if you have the other card, then you could get into the lead. But if you had this, you could just switch places with the person in the lead, which actually would work good because then if you have the lockup card, someone might try to lock you up because you're in the lead. Uh, Jello Green Jiggler 5. Uh, zero, flip over the top two cards of the move deck and move that many spaces. Uh, do not add any bonus movements for matching colors. Oh, so maybe it's not like Uno. These numbers are how often we will move. Three, Jello Jiggler Green, three, Goldenrod, four, Aquamarine, six, uh, Goldenrod, two, Aquamarine, three. Ruby Red, four, and finally an Aquamarine, two. Uh, did I mention they're in, uh, in Roman numerals? But, like, they look like dog bones, uh, the Roman numerals for two. So that's the cards uh, for the game. Next we'll go on to the board, and I guess then we'll ru- learn the rules here because um, uh, the board is kind of simple. So this does not exactly inspire, uh, I mean, no offense, I love Goonies, but the board does not exactly inspire excitement. I guess because I'm like, uh, I have trouble with focusing. I like a board with a lot going on. And not to steal the conversation, but I think maybe I've talked about it. It's the greatest board game I've ever played as a child. We got it at a garage sale. And it was a vertical board game. This was, I mean, you're talking 1982 maybe, So, and it was used at a garage sale. And it was a vertical board game, meaning instead of the board being flat, it like had a holder and it went upwards, and it was a mountain. And the characters were mountain climbers, and there was little holes on the board, and you would put their pick in the hole, and they would slowly try to make their way up different ways up the mountain. And of course, it was from a garage sale. You know, we didn't, we had to, you know, improvise some things, but there was like, a, you know, different things you could set off and it would affect players below you. So, like a landslide, boulders, you know, she, like rams. And it was a great game. It was really like the greatest board game I've ever played. And they still uh, go to garage sales looking for this game. Um, maybe it would just be, you know, just for, for nostalgia purposes. I don't know if it was that good or I was just like, because I was, it was so unique as a kid. So that also makes it tough to stack up against, you know, if, uh, for, for games, because I see, I see this board. So here's the board. It is, um, it's a mostly square board. I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty that it's a square and all it looks like is a path. There's a start, and then there's an escape. And let's see, how do I describe this? So the path just looks like like little stepping stones. Some look like they're ice. Some look like they're uh, green Jello Jiggler gems. Uh, some look like they're aquamarine blue gems. Some look like they're ruby red gems, and some look like they're. Uh, 
What are those called? Uh, goldenrod, gold gems. And they proceed in a serpentine way. So start and it goes to, so I'm looking at the upper left uh, quadrant of the board. And it says start. And it also, so the backdrop of the board is a map. It says again, the Goonies 25th Anniversary Collector's Edition. Uh, but it also proceeds over some water uh, towards the end of the game. And then the escape thing also has a like a print of a ship, uh, like a like a little painting of a ship. Uh, and the board doesn't like the map that the board like is the backdrop doesn't seem to have anything to do with Goonies. There is the uh, skull key thing on the right hand side of the board, and then there's a Jolly Roger, and there's some doubloons uh, spilled in the middle. And a couple of compass roses or whatever. And then there's on the left-hand side below the start, there's a thing with bars and it says seven lockup. And it kind of looks like a little uh, old-fashioned jail. Uh, then also spread about the board. And I don't. it doesn't look like there's any, I mean, I'm sure there's an algorithm, but it doesn't look like one I could figure out is... Uh, uh, different pictures of One-Eyed Willie with, like, so on a, um, on a space, on a game space, and it says six and or seven uh, or eight uh, below One-Eyed Willie. There also, it seems like there's a couple places. So let's see. So you start at the start, and then you go all the way to the right. You, yeah, we should count it. You're right. Uh, one, two, three, four. The fourth spot says six with one-eyed willy, five, six. The sixth spot's a piece of ice. These are all green, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Also a one-eyed willy space. Then there's a, 12 is a ice space. 13 is the aquamarine, 14 aquamarine, 15. 16 is aquamarine and says one-eyed willy, six. 17 is aquamarine, 18 is ice. 19 aquamarine, 20 one-eyed willy, 7 aquamarine, 21 and 22 are aquamarine, 23 is ice, and at 23 you can go left or right for three spaces that go to the exact same spot. Uh, but if we remember, two players can't, like it would, wouldn't make any sense except that two players can't share the same spot. So I guess if you didn't want to knock your friend off the board, you could go left or right. That seems like it's going to cause some trouble, though. But if you go left, there's three spots, a green, a blue, and a red, and then it ends in a golden rod, one-eyed willy, seven. And if you take the left path, it goes red, Roy, G, Biv, uh, red, green, in like aquamarine, and ends at the same uh, one-eyed willy, seven. Uh, then the path splits three ways. All the paths are the same length. Uh, so the path to the left goes green, aquamarine, red, and then a, uh, one of One-Eyed Willie's friends, Chester Copperpot, uh, in a blackish-brown. Uh, the center path goes Roy G. Biv, red, green, and then in, like, uh, blue, and then Chester Copperpot. And then the rightmost path goes... Uh, uh, Aquamarine, red and green jello jiggler to Chester Copperpot. 
then there's an ice spot. Then our spots all turn to, so now we're over the water on ice. Then there's a ruby red spot, uh, regular. Then a ruby red chest, or ruby red Willy, what's his name, Willy Wonka, one-eyed Willy, eight. Then a ruby red, then a ruby red, then ice, and now we're back on land. Then another ruby red, another, then a one-eyed Willy, eight, and then two more ruby red spaces, then an ice space. And then we're in the goldenrod zone in the home stretch. There's one, two uh, goldenrods, then a third, that's a one-eyed Willy, eight. Then another goldenrod, then ice, then a one-eyed Willy, nine. 10, 11, 12, like, uh, then there's four more, uh, golden rods, then ice, and then the end of the game, the escape. And, you know, I'm no game designer, so, oh, I just noticed on the map, it looks like this could be the Nile or the Mississippi. Like, uh, there seems to be some river with a lot of labeling on there. Uh, I think this took place in Maine, though. Um, the, the movie, right? In Augusta, Maine, is it Portland, Maine? But looking over the board, I really don't have an idea of how to play. So I am going to have to read the instructions. So let's let's do that. All right. So let's go through the uh, Goonies game instructions. I'll probably be doing some paraphrasing. All right. So it comes with five game pieces: Chunk, Mikey, Andy, Data, Mouth uh, with plastic stands, game board, forty-five move cards. Is that how many? I thought I only counted. Thought I counted forty-four. Uh, rules insert, which is in my hand, sixteen gold blooms, of which I counted for ten, and then three skull tokens. And you're like, Scoots, what's the setup? How do we get this game going? I'll tell you. This is what we'll do. We'll sit down. You know, obviously, we've got to get a game place going. Then each player is going to pick it. It doesn't have, like, one of those ones, whoever's birthday is closer to make it easy. So each player picks a piece and places it on the place mark start. Uh, so that'll be another thing. I guess if it's 14 and up, you should be able to say, you know, not everybody's fighting over data. Or Miles, or I guess everybody has their own. Who would I be? Uh, Bran isn't an option. I mean, I'm, I would prefer Martha Plimpton. And also, it would have been great if the game would like she was included so I'd know what her character's name was, but it didn't. You see, you'd be Mouth Scoots. I mean, no, I mean, I like Chunk a lot. I mean, if it can't be Martha Plimpton, probably Chunk or Lawrence, as the police officer refers to him. Okay, so let's see. Set up. Each player picks a place, puts them on start, shuffle the move deck, and place it by the board where all the players can reach it. That's respectful. And then form a discard pile for your move cards next to the deck. Okay, randomly, without looking, uh, place the skull token face down in each of the three skull spaces on the board. Uh, then each player draws three cards from the move deck. This is your hand. And then the youngest player goes first, so that's easy. So maybe the oldest player gets to pick the pieces first. Okay, on your turn, play a move card from your choice in your hand. Uh, so we'll have three move cards, and I assume those are the numbered cards or the card, the zero card with a like, uh, thing you can do on it. So it turns out those cards are kind of powerful. I like that you have a choice of three things to do instead of the randomness of the dice. 
because then you could try to hold your move, you know, because obviously you don't want to, like, there's a couple of calculations. You uh, you can knock players off the board, I believe. We'll find out. And then you also can hold these zero cards for strategic value for later in the game if you can. But then if you can't move, you have to play one, I guess. So play a move card. Uh, move your piece that many squares forward or backward. Wait a second. Whoa. Or backward on the board. Uh, check to see if you've landed on a trap space. Uh, see trap spaces below. Oh, that's interesting. And then end your turn by drawing move cards until you have three in your hand. So, okay, finish up by drawing your cards. Okay, move cards. Your move, your hand's composed of three move cards. Each move card is, has a number on it. Zero, two, three. Four, five, or six. No ones. That's interesting. Uh, when you play a move card, move your piece in either direction. The number of spaces equal to the number on the move card you played. So that makes some of those roundabouts interesting because you could go around the circle. Like it's not just a, like since you. This is the first. This is the first time I've played one of these board, a board game where you can go back and forth in a while. So that's also interesting. Okay, when you play a move card and its color matches the color on the space of the board you started from, you can choose to move an additional space. Okay, interesting. So another layer of strategy of trying to use cards that match the space. If you're trying to get to the end fast, you can choose to move an additional space. Special move cards. There are nine special move cards that have no movement. Each of these special move cards has unique ability, as we read. Yeah, that might help you get ahead in the game. You could play a move card at any time. Uh, you can play a regular move card. If you play a special move card, it counts as your turn, even if you don't end up moving your piece. Special move cards count as zero when turned over for movement, uh, traps, or escape attempts from lockup. Okay, trap spaces. One-eyed William left many, like a, a tramp, oh, tramp spaces uh, to protect his treasure. Each tramp space has a number on it. When you land on that tramp space, flip over three cards from the top of the move deck and add the numbers up uh, on the cards you reveal. This number is your trap score. If your trap score is equal to, is greater than or equal to the number on the trap space, you solve the trap and you get a gold to bloom as your reward. And you can move ahead to the nearest white crystal space. I thought those were ice. They're actually white crystals. And they even, they say white crystal spaces are the white spaces on the board that appear between the sets of colored spaces. If your trap score is lower than the number on the trap space, you must either lose a gold to bloom or go to lock up uh, near the start space. Your choice. If you don't have a gold bloom to lose, you must place your piece in lock up. So this is interesting because these tramp spaces are essential to winning the game. Because as of thus far, the only way to acquire a gold to bloom is to to deal with this. It's also randomized. Uh, if you can, add, I guess my my thing would be I'm, I'm really slow at adding. But considering that there's no one, it's two, three, four, five, six, you have a pretty good chance of winning, I think. I'm no mathematician. Okay, lockup. At the start of your turn, you're in lockup. If you're in lockup, you must flip the top three cards of the move deck and add the numbers up revealed. 
If the total is seven or greater, you escape from lockup and you can uh, place your piece on the white crystal space behind the player who is in next last place. After three failed attempts, you escape on your next turn. So here's some advice. Keep your balloons and go to jail. Again, coming from someone that's never played the game because you need the gold balloons to win. And again, it seems, unless I'm misunderstanding this, you flip three cards, you, okay. Flip three cards and add them together. It's got to be greater than seven. Let's just try this a few times and see if I beat seven out of three times. Okay, so I got a zero, a four, and a four. So first try, I escaped. Okay, next try, zero, two, Okay, not looking so great for this one, but, uh, and zero. So second try did not, uh, and I probably wouldn't have won on the space. Uh, third try looking good. Four, six, that's 10. We're good. So two out of three. So I would say, uh, go ahead and go to, you know, go, what do they call it? Lock up. This is kind of fun, huh? Okay, bumping players. When you land on a red, blue, yellow, or green space that's already occupied, uh, you bump that player backwards, but only to the like, nearest white crystal space. Uh, those are safe zones that players cannot be bumped from. So crystal zones are safe zones, and if you get bumped, you go back to the crystal, not to lock up. That's what I would have thought, but... Uh, not the case. It doesn't say, does it say anywhere if the kid, two people can share lockup? I'm always like, in, you know, in these arguments about the games. You know, I know we're having this whole thing. Like, is there a Supreme Court of Games where they say, no, like, is there's too much, like, uh, there's too much room for interpretation sometimes. Okay, gold blooms. You win a duel to bloom every time you solve one of one-eyed Willie's traps. Uh, you can carry up to four gold doubloons at a time. If you land on a trap space, you can dis- discard a gold doubloon instead of attempting to solve it. Uh, this does not count as solving it, so you won't get a gold doubloon as a reward, obviously, if you're giving it up. So it's interesting. Uh, at the end of the multicolored paths on the border, is three skull spaces, one for each branch of the path. If during your move you land on or pass over a skull space. You must stop and reveal the skull token on the space. If the token says go back, move your place back to the goal nearest white crystal space. If the skull key is on the other side of the skull token, you immediately advance to the white crystal space on the other side of the skull spaces. At the end of your turn, Regardless of the outcome, turn that skull token face down and shuffle it with the other two tokens and place the tokens randomly on the skull spaces without looking. So I, I'm interested, I mean, I find this game interesting as far as like the connect, like the just calculating, uh, getting the doubloons. Uh, the winner of the game is the first player to reach escape space while holding at least, at least, that's interesting, that's wondering this. At least four gold blooms. So you could hold four. So once you get three gold blooms, start trying to go to the end. But if you get a chance to get one more, that'd be good. And that's actually the end of it. And so that's the actually the end of our unboxing is a game from a movie I love. Uh, then I might actually play it. I may play it with a 10-year-old. Don't tell anybody yet. Uh, they're a nine-year-old that's about to be 10. But... Uh, 
you know, don't tell anybody it's a great gaming commission. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it was really enlightening to me because this thing's been wrapped for probably six or seven years. Sorry, whoever gave it to me as a gift. Uh, I think it also came with a shirt, maybe. I don't know. I have a Goonie shirt. I don't know if it came with a Goonie shirt. Uh, but anyway, good night. Okay, everybody. Uh, tonight's a, a, a style episode we've only done a few times. Uh, but it's one I really enjoy making and really fun. It's a board game unboxing. The board board game unboxing. And tonight we're going to be doing a game called Tokaido. T-O-K-A-I-D-O. And it's a uh, it's a board game. I, d- I don't know too much about it. I have a little bit of personal history with it. Uh, I was under the impression, and I actually didn't even. Okay, this is this is kind of a bit of sleep with me material here. Uh, I thought I had bought it last year, uh, so tw- for the holidays of 2017. So last last year, for someone as a gift, but I may have only placed it. Uh, you know, here's what I think. Here's what happened. It may have been even two, two or three holidays ago. I had intended to buy it for my brother because I had heard about the amazing artwork of this game, and that's very unique and very enjoyable to play. Uh, but like, I think I ended up putting it in my uh, shopping cart, and then realizing uh, that there was this out-of-print book I wanted to buy for my brother Ken. Because I'm pretty sure he would have been the one, you know, he does the art for the show, so he was the one I would have wanted to do the to to, to give it to. And then this year, so, sorry, Ken or Judy, if you're listening, I I, I purchased a game as a as a holiday gift with the intention of giving it, it, it. Like a good thing about board games, especially for adults, uh, but maybe for kids too. I mean, this in this situation ends up for kids, uh, is that you have an option of who to give the gift to. Uh, so you can kind of board, buy a board game with one person in mind, but but it gives you options. Especially so, this year I bought. Well, Santa Claus was also involved in this. When I conferenced with Santa Claus, I said, "Okay, what board games are you going to have the elves create, and which ones should I purchase?" So this was after my consult with Santa Claus, aka Roberta Claus. I just wanted to back myself in multiple corners, but so. Uh, with the two two of us and the team of elves consulting, between those we had Tokaido. Uh, there's a Harry Potter card building game, which I didn't do an unboxing in that, just because it, it it part of the game is unboxing. And so, if I unboxed the game, it would have uh, interrupted my my enjoyment of the gameplay. Uh, so, so, sorry about that, uh, yeah, but you could check out that game as well. And then also a game that I'll re- rewrite the name for it called, uh, uh, let's see, it's called uh, Pan. Uh, it's a pan game about Dems. Uh, and this was just a card game version. I think there's like a, there's a version of those games called Legacy, uh, which I'd like to play. But uh, that game Ken and Judy got. Uh, because they said, am I feeling like uh, for Sophia, uh, the pan game or Tokaido? And so, so it was, a, you know, this is when you hold a gift. This is called, the, I call this the reverse condo, where I say, what will this bring, who will, whom will this bring joy to? Maybe we could patent that, or maybe we could work on that, work with Marie. 
we could do a, a set of cards where I get like 80% of the money, Marie gets 20%, uh, in our holiday cards with these, with just this method. Or we could just write, instead of a book, we could sell pamphlets. I don't know if that's something that's profitable, uh, but it's something I'd be into is, uh, you hold, you hold a gift that you've bought, uh, I guess this is kind of not the best format. You say, who, whom would this... Re- Actually, no, that's how I bought a lot of gifts. Uh, they thought this was going to be about... Uh, but so, like, another... This is just a pro-tip idea. you got, like, plenty of months to plan this. But you can also do it for birthdays or any other gift, you know, showers you're going to. Is going to a Goodwill or, or, or a 99-cent store... And you pick stuff up and you hold it and you say, will this bring joy? I mean, a good Goodwill or a flea market is good because you say, who would this bring joy to? And then you gift it to them. Uh, that's for like your, uh, your you know, your, I don't know. And then a 99 cent store is kind of the same thing, but you should just clear first, would this bring joy to someone? And then who would that bring joy to? So after my consults, uh, this so that's how Tokaido ended up in my lap instead of Ken and Judy's. Also, I'm still not sure I didn't give them the gift at some point. So I didn't want to, like, on the hot, like, right up before the holidays be like, uh, did Roberta Kloss or I give you Tokaido as a gift within the past few years? And I forgot because that's what's wrapped up down there just in case, uh, so that's how I ended up with Tokaido, and I'm looking forward to playing it with uh, my daughter. So just to paint a picture for you, it is a large uh, b- box. Uh, I don't know how many, definitely like maybe 24 inches by 24 inches and about uh, 6 inches thick. No, maybe 4 inches thick. It's a heavy box. It's The box, uh, the background color is just white or might be an eggshell. It could be a linen, but that might be my lighting talking. It has the names of the creators on there. Uh, Antoine Bauza and uh, Nadia. Uh, and I think those are the correct pronunciations, but I'm not sure. And then in the center of the top of the box, it, underneath in writing, uh, uh, that seems like... Uh, it was written in some sort of uh, Japanese-style brushwork, uh, Tokaido. Inside the circle, I think, is some Japanese characters, inside the, the second O. And then there's a beautiful piece of art, uh, which includes uh, the whole art is set on a lake or a pond. And I don't know if this is art from the game, but I so I don't I, I don't want to describe it just yet. Uh but really, really, uh, like a lot of details, uh, uh, a lot, just a lot to look at, and, and beautiful. Uh, then each side of the box says Tokaido on it. So if you have it on a, a you know, a, a, a bookshelf or a board game shelf, you can easily find it. And then on the back, uh, so just to, to, to tease it out here and get you ready uh, for what we have in store. On the back, again, it says the names of the creators, then Tokaido, register, you know, the trademark is registered. In the top left corner, it has what looks like some sort of cards that were probably used in the game. And then it has uh, some sort of coins that look like they're used in the game. They're circular coins with a square uh, hole in them. 
to the right is a, a gentleman uh, smoking a pipe, uh, uh, wearing a robe, and on his back is a... Uh, oh, these again might be characters from the game, but he, he's got a lot of things on his back that he's carrying, including a cool paper lantern, and he's smoking a pipe. Uh, uh, then on the bottom left is another character. Also, uh, she seems to be in a... She's in a flowing robe. Also, the colors uh, are just amazing. Uh, I wouldn't even know. Like, her robe is shades of magenta and uh, uh, purples. Uh, there's a lot in, in the hair. Then on the other side is someone. Uh, he seems to be dressed like a samurai. But again, uh, he also has a lot of colors. He's holding a fan with a painting on it. And then on the back, it says, uh, Welcome, Traveler! Uh, exclamation point. Uh, Welcome to Takedo, the legendary East Sea Road connecting Kyoto to Edo. Uh, here you will begin an extraordinary journey during which you will discover a thousand marvels for the first time. Uh, be sure to take the time to contemplate the sumptuous vistas before you. The majestic mountains, the peaceful coastland, and the vast rice paddies. Uh, let the brush strokes of nature be an anchor for your memories. Appreciate the beneficial stopovers uh, that punctuate your path. Beautiful language here. The restorative tranquility of the hot springs. And the countless culinary delicacies that will astonish your palate. Uh, bundled together with your belongings, uh, delightfully unexpected souvenirs from the most modest to the most sophisticated that you gather from your surprising encounters that may change the course of your travels. Time will be your best me means to remain clear-sighted, methodical, and patient so that you don't miss anything on this unique route but instead can fully savor the experiences Takedo has to offer. Uh, the contents we will discover, but they're listed here. It says the game takes uh, about 45 minutes, uh, two to five players, but then it also has an eight plus. I think that means age. Uh, uh, then it says no on babies, uh, zero to three. Also on the UPC code, just in case you're wondering, it says Tokaido dash fifth. So I don't know if that's the fifth edition to the game. It says July 17. And just, just for uh, legacy sake, 377-001-556-543. And you could visit them on the web. It's at www.funforge.fr. And they have the company's uh, logo there, Funforge. Uh, so I'm going to pause, like, I'm going to, like, you won't notice, but I'm going to be opening the box here. Okay, so I have the box open, and the first thing I'm seeing is a pack with, uh, cards and things in it, very picturesque. Then the, uh, how to play instructions. Uh, it looks like there's also, uh, a app version of the game or an app to complement the game. Uh, so there's an ad for that that is also beautiful. And I put the instructions to the side. Then there's a big uh, cardboard square. And the first one has coins. It has uh, one, two, three, four, 
times 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, which is easy math. So 40 coins to punch out. Uh, then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 uh, uh, circular uh, tokens of, that look like a kind of watercolor flower. And uh, one is like, again, a, a color that is, uh, I'd say it's like a somewhere, it's a violet, a light purple, then one that's like a yellow, orange, uh, like a, the edges of a sunset, a thin one that's like a, not forest green, though it has some forest green in there. I don't know if there's a color verdant green. Uh, but you know, which is different than spring green or loamy green, maybe a mossy green. Then there's a grayscale one, which is beautiful. And then there's another one that initially you'd say it's blue, but then I'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like a cayenne or cyan in blue and a little bit of gray mixed together uh, to create something in a shade of blue. Uh, then there seems to be character cards, uh, which actually have a hole where you can punch out. So I don't know what that's for. Uh, and again, I, I don't like there, there's a uh, there's a coin symbol in the right top right corner. It says X times the number of coins. So I don't know if that's like the game of life, how much they earn. Uh, then there's a drawing and a painting of the character. And uh, each character is a little bit different. Maybe we could run through those uh, when we get to them. Then underneath the character, oh, there's different symbols and different cards, uh, which must be a part of the gameplay. It's tough to figure out exactly what they are. Like, do, does maybe this is what they get to do on each turn? Uh, like one of the characters from the back cover, his name is uh, Zen Dash Amon E M O N. And uh, there's a picture of something that looks like a, a house or a, a something, and then an arrow, and it has one to a card, and then a coin. Uh, then the next character is also uh, was on the cover, the back cover, uh, is uh, Sasai Aiko, S A S A Y A K K O, or Sasayako. Uh, and that one has the same picture of a house. Then it has one card. Then it has a, another card with a coin, but the coin is X'd out. And then it has a grayed out card. So it's already like titillating in the mystery of the gameplay. Uh, then there's another character. Uh, so there's four character cards on this sheet. Uh, uh, Hiro Tada, uh, who earns eight coins or has an eight coin thing. Now, Hirotada has a different symbol underneath Hirotada. It's not a house. It looks to be some sort of mountain-type sanctuary or something. And then it has an arrow going to a pile of coins. Then it has an arrow of a coin going into a grayed-out coin topped by a gate. So, again, I'm like, what a... And also under, there's also a, a circle that's meant to be punched out in the top left. Uh, underneath that is a, a banner with Japanese characters on it. And the last character on here is uh, Omega, 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 O M 
E G A E. And uh, this character has uh, long hair, a painted face, uh, two fa- a fan, and then I can't quite see uh, if it's uh, what else is being held in their hand. Uh, like a really layered outfit uh, in shades of uh, red and maroons. And even the fan has uh, exquisite details on there. Like there's a painting uh, which uh, would look like flowers and maybe a setting sun or a moon. And even the textures of the dress, uh, it's a dress like uh, that's uh, one of those like folds almost like an accordion. I don't know what those kind of dresses are called. Uh, and the dress kind of seems to be flowing. Also, I didn't even realize this. In the background of each one is like a, a very light grayscale painting. Of uh, like It kind of looks like they're on some sort of regal stage. Okay, so that's one set of character cards. Then the next uh, cardboard punch-out card has... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten more coins. So we have 50 coins in play, it looks like. And then it has uh, six more characters. Uh, all with, like, much different symbols. Okay, so four of these six characters have uh, will look like a food symbol underneath them. And then an arrow to some sort of card-based activity. And maybe the characters are all holding, like, something that symbolizes them. All of them have different coin values. Uh, there's um, uh, Mitsukuni, uh, M-I-T-S-U-K-U-N-I. It seems to be some sort of mystical character, maybe, because a long beard, a long staff uh, that at the top has, like, a natural branches coming off it with uh, bloss- pink blossoms on it. But then there's kind of three ethereal characters on there. And then also on the shoulder of this character is another ethereal type, uh, I don't know, like a sprite-like character. And wearing a beautiful green robe uh, with a yellow uh, tie. What do you call it when you tie, tie your robe? You know, you cinch your robe with that thing. Uh, and then different cards uh, and a staff symbol. Uh, the next character was from uh, one of the covers, uh, Yoshiyashu, Y-O-S-H-I-Y-A-S-U. Uh, earns nine coins. It seems to be some sort of uh, samurai-type character uh, in blue. So like I said, holding a fan. Uh, that maybe has some sort of phoenix-like character bird on there. Uh, but then also has underneath uh, the, the, a circle uh, with someone in, in shades of pink carrying things, which leads to two cards with a question mark. Uh, the next character seems to be a younger character, uh, Satsuki, S-A-T-S-U-K-I. And uh, what I like about Satsuki is uh, the characters are looking right at us. I don't know if any of the other characters are making eye contact. And then uh, on the right lower side of uh, Satsuki is a a little character, uh, some sort of pet. I can't tell if it's a cat or a a small dog. 
And then again, just a massive amount of details. Also, you could even go into the details of the face and stuff. Uh, really impressive artwork. And uh, even just the layers and layers uh, going into the clothing. Yeah, this is just a really rich game. And then under Satsuki is what looks like a plate of food with chopsticks. Uh, and then an arrow to a card with a question mark uh, that has uh, the card on the back of it has a plate of chopsticks. And then a coin with an X out. Uh, uh, the next character is uh, Kinko. K-I-N-K-O. Now, Kinko has a mysterious... Uh, uh, something over Kinko's head, covering Kinko's head. Uh, if you watch Legion, it is evocative of that TV show for me, the second season. Uh, and uh, a very simple, like a uh, blue shaded robe, uh, uh, but some wind flowing actually. So the robe is actually flowing in the wind. And underneath Kinko is, uh, again, a plate of food with chopsticks, going to a card with a plate of food with chopsticks, and then one coin. Uh, Kinko also has a X7 for the coins. Uh, this next character is named uh, Shubei, uh, C-H-U-U-B-E-I, or Shubai. Uh, it also has uh, the symbol with uh, food and chopsticks, but with a a red circle with a down arrow on it, and then a, a arrow to a, a pink card that uh, Yoshiashu had, and the coin multiplier is X4, and then Shubai or Shubei is carrying, uh, has a piece of... Um, what is that called? Wheat between their mouth or some other form of grain. A very determined look uh, with the eyebrows. Uh, and is in mid-stride. A pole over the shoulder. Uh, carrying a bundle of something uh, with some uh, Japanese writing on it. Uh, a jacket that is uh, somewhere between orange and red. Uh, with a lot of details underneath the jacket, it also has uh, some sort of. Uh, uh, they also have some sort of uh, something around their neck. They have sh longer shorts or shorter pants. There's even some uh, des design in the, the calves. And uh, the last uh, character here is a hero, uh, she she Shiji. Or Shijie, H I R O S H I G E, uh, X three coin multiplier. The um, is same as uh, Shubei, uh, food uh, plate with a uh, chopsticks in food and a circular arrow with a down symbol. Uh, but an arrow pointing to a two toned card we haven't seen yet. Uh, and then Hiroshige, uh, Hiroshige is a uh, really richly richly designed uh, holding a giant paintbrush uh, tipped with red it looks like uh, the character just painted a, a circle around them really flowing clothes with a bunch of different scaling of colors uh their left hand, they're painting with their left hand which is good news for people like me 
some sort of uh, bat, like a carry-all on the back, uh, also holding uh, what could be the paint uh, in some sort of jar. Uh, oof, really uh, amazing. And even look at the back of these. Okay, the backs are plain, though. Okay, so the next thing I'm going to do is uh, open up this bag and take a look at what's in this bag. Okay, so open the bag, and it has, uh, oh, I guess these are cards that maybe become paintings. Uh, wow. Uh, that's what it seems to be, that they're cards that you uh, separate and then become paintings. Uh, if that's the case, this is really, really amazing. Holy mackerel. Uh, so there's a, what are these called? Like a three pan, there's a first set of paintings is a three paneled painting. Uh, the second set and the, how many versions? Uh, so there's three cards for each painting. And there's probably like, uh, one, two, three, four, uh, five sets of the painting. So five times three is 15 cards. Uh, then the next painting is, uh, uh, four uh, cards or four panel painting. There's probably, I'm really making a bit of a mess here, uh, but I think there's probably five versions of that. And then the final one is a uh, five, uh, uh, five panel painting. Okay, so let me start with a three panel painting here. Uh, on one side is, uh, so it's uh, three panels, and each panel has its own number one, two, and three. Uh, against a, uh, what looks like a stick with a pack, uh, like a bundle on it. Uh, so I assume you're like acquiring it during your journey. In the first painting, the uh, three panel painting is very verdant. It's green. It has uh, some flooded fields. Uh, and in the center and the middle panel and the right panel are two people like harvesting or working. Uh, with some grasses in the field, so I don't know if it's uh, what exactly they're harvesting. Uh, but the level of detail is just amazing because uh, the water is green, but it's also reflecting the sky. You can kind of see some of the clouds uh, to the left on one of the um, uh, border, like uh, land borders between the fields is uh, uh, what looks like two birdhouses and rock and some grasses. In the top left corner is some trees, and then above that is uh, like a, a land, which looks like maybe a main road is on there. Someone's standing there. There's even some mountains, and as you move right, uh, you see some birds flying and some more mountains. And a cloudy yellow sky, someone running on the road, uh, pulling, pulling a cart, uh, and the cart even has motion kind of... Uh, drawn into it there's a, a lantern like kind of moving and as you track further on the right on the road part at the top uh, background of the card uh, there's some road markers and there's two people just standing on the road kind of chatting or you know catching up or giving you know, fellow travelers giving one another directions so just really rich and then on the other side of the card is a greenish print, a kind of a textured-looking print, and then a circle in the middle with another painting, which kind of catches like a, a different version of what we're like a a, a further out, uh, zoomed-out version of uh, 
some tiered flooded fields uh, with a house or a building at the top of the fields. And again, there's a motif of like sky and clouds and then another set of tiered fields in the distance with another house. Uh, and the four-paneled card painting, again, all the panels are numbered from left to right. And this one is a winter scene with a like a volcanic-style mountain, uh, uh, which would probably be reminiscent of uh, Fuji or those people that have seen uh, Shasta in Northern California. Uh, so it's always impressive. A lot of these mountains are rising just right from sea level. Uh, so they just really look... Uh, uh, amazing uh, and this one looks very amazing because it dominates the two center panels on either side and it's covered in snow and it's surrounded by a, a pink sky so I don't know if it's dawn or dusk uh, feels like a dawn and there's these wispy uh, painted clouds uh, that almost like ribbon like uh, maybe even some birds in the sky uh, on the furthest left and right panels, we, we get a little bit more of a foreground detail of some trees that are snow-covered, a bridge and a gate, and uh, some rocks. Uh, on the right side of the panel are some travelers, uh, like, soaking in the mountain. Uh, around the base of the mountain, there seems to be some sort of lake or uh, a flooded area, but it's covered, or just snow covered. Uh, there's, yeah, there's uh, snow covered rocks. Uh, so, also very amazing. And, and then on the back side, it's a grayscale kind of uh, look uh, with a print that has like uh, somewhere between a snowflake and a flower. And then a shot of the mountain in a different way uh, where the wind is really a, this wispy winter wind. You could see the mountains and the trees and the snow. And then on the five-panel painting, it is uh, amazing. It's a uh, like a water uh, sea shot uh, from shore to sea. And on the left side seems to be kind of some seaside village uh, that's built on the base of a mountain. So there's trees and uh, buildings and the mountain kind of rising up behind it, there's clouds uh, and kind of placid water. Then as you move to the next plant panel, you see the clouds and sky and birds, and then the ribbon-like wispy clouds. Uh, you see mountains in the background. You see a fisher person working with a net. As you move to the next panel, you see a boat, and the seas are getting a little bit more wavy. It's a boat with a sail up, and it, it seems to be headed towards the village. Uh, and you just see some of the design in the water. As you move to the fourth panel, you see the water is getting even rougher and darker. There's some rocks. There's some darker clouds. And then spiraling, spiraling up out of the water is... Uh, a tall kind of cylindrical rock and built on top of it is a building. There's a tree. Yeah, so kind of fantastical in some way. Like you say, I'd like to live up there. And you can see there's some, some flags in front of the house. You can see that the wind is blowing and waves are crashing at the base of the rock. And then the fifth panel is just like a mighty sea shot. There's a lot of gray and black clouds and very, very big waves, uh, 
with these finger-like uh, breaks in the, the foam of the wave. Uh, so very, very, very beautiful. I mean, just so much to look at. And the other side is kind of a print that looks a little bit like something evocative of the motion of water, but also with uh, prints of uh, leaves in the water, too. And in the center painting is a more placid view of, like, two boats in the water with uh, a mountain rising up on one side and an island on the other and a lot of uh, big sky with uh, nice, calm, cool clouds. Yeah, so that's a painting card portion. Okay, in the next layer of the box, we have uh, the board, the board game board, you know, the game board. And, wow, some extra bags. Uh, so I guess, like, bags to keep those cards in. Uh, then a bag with uh, five wi- wooden uh, character symbols, uh, one in turquoise, one in a darker yellow one in a forest kind of green, one in a gray, and one in a purple. And then also uh, five pips that match the characters in color, like a round circle. And these seem to be made of uh, wood or hardy plastic, uh, really tactile. They're definitely wood as I'm looking at it in the light. Uh, So really a nice touch there. And then there's also a box of cards, uh, a packet of cards, which I'll, I'll open up off uh, mic and then take a look through at least. Okay, so I open the bag of cards, and it's a really thick stack of cards. Uh, like if you're thinking about a regular playing deck of uh, uh, playing cards, it seems to be equivalent of two uh, decks of playing cards. They are like... A, uh, a quarter, like maybe uh, half the size or uh, 60% less size than a normal deck of playing cards. Uh, and on the back of the cards are different, uh, like as we go back to those characters, there's uh, there's different things on each side of the card. So some of the back of the cards have a black print on them. And then in the circle painting in the center is a building that's lit up at night uh, with a black tiled roof. Uh, another card has a uh, a yellow a kind of a shining sun print and a lucky cat uh, in black waving. Uh, another back of a card has a blue print uh, with kind of like river rocks and a river or a stream in it, uh, very picturesque. Uh, then we have that food, that bowl. It's actually a bowl because it has a liquid in it uh, with looks like a lot of different vegetables, maybe a radish, uh, some other things. Uh, and then a print that uh, is kind of evocative of uh, uh, fish without being fish. Uh, then there's a purple card uh, with a person, uh, like a, a purple Maybe a dark pink uh, print on it, and the purple person in a kind of matching tones, uh, uh, carrying a big pack on their back. And I think that's all the backs of the cards. So let's see the fronts of the cards. Uh, let's see. The first card uh, is Coma, K-O-M-A, and it has a again, a, like a, it has a, on the bottom left, it has one coin. In the bottom right, it has a a circle with a fan in it. It looks like it's some sort of top or something. 
like a spinning top you would play with. Uh, then it has a pack with the numbers. I think they all do one, three, five, seven. Maybe they own. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe they all have that. Not all of them do though. Uh, so that's uh, that's that card. And then the next card is uh, a musical instrument. It's three coins. Uh, then in the circle it has uh, what looks like it could be a doll. I'm not sure what the symbol is. Uh, and this is uh, Shai Amisen. Shai Amisen. Uh, uh, the next one uh, seems to be a robe, a yellow striped robe. Uh, some of these are things you would buy. It's a two-coin symbol. And then in its circle, it has a robe, and it's a uh, yukata, Y-U-K-A-T-A, yukata. Uh, this next card must be from a different a different background. It's uh, uh, Annie, Anna Ibito, Anna Ibito, A-N-N-A-I-B-I-T-O. And it's a character with a staff, uh, maybe like a grimace on their faces or exhorting efforts. And then below them is an X with a, a blue-backed card, and this is a pink-backed card. Uh, this next card is uh, Ko- Koji, uh, or Kuji, K-U-G-E, or K-O-G-E. And again, it's another character... Uh, their arms are clasped, under, clasped underneath their robe, and it has an X with three coins. Uh, this next one must be food. It's a uh, nigiri mishi, N-I-G-I-R-I-M-E-S-H-I, nigiri mishi, nigiri mishi. Uh, it's a one coin. It has a six, a symbol with a pack uh, on it. And there's two triangular uh, pieces of maybe tofu or something uh, like uh, made from some sort of flour uh, with looks like some sort of nori wrapper maybe on the bottom of it. Uh, the next one, a tempura. It is. Uh, it has leafy greens and it looks like uh, maybe it's tempura fish. Uh, or it just has like what looks like uh, small fish, like herrings or sardines. It's a two-coin symbol, and then a six, uh, number six with a pack on it. Uh, the next one is a fugu, and this one has a like a wooden uh, a serving board with some slices of fish, uh, a couple limes. It looks like. Uh, Maybe uh, some sort of green vegetable and then some slices of uh, onion or garlic or, or some something else. And it has uh, three coins and a six-thing uh, symbol. Uh, this one's interesting. It's the uh, that river-type uh, scene. Maybe it's a spring, and it has a two-pack symbol. It's the same as the spring on the other, other side of it, uh, and then the next card has the exact is the exact same picture. It just has two monkeys in the spring, and that one has a three pack symbol on it. They seem like they're chilling there. Uh, the next one is uh, Hashi H A S H I. It has like what seems to be two chopsticks. It has a single coin symbol, 
And then on the other side, it has a circle with a fan symbol in it. Uh, Geta, G-E-T-A, uh, is uh, two sets of uh, wooden, um, what are those things called that you wear around on your feet? Uh, uh, the wooden shoes with the extensions on the bottom. Slippers, I guess you'd call them. Uh, or clogs. And that has a two-circle uh, coin symbol. And then the, the circle, the black circle with a robe in it. So I guess that stands for clothing. Uh, Haori is uh, the next one. It's uh, another robe in a kind of blue, similar to what the uh, samurai was wearing. And uh, that has two coins and then the, the clothing symbol. Uh, then it's a repeat of... Uh, uh, Anna, uh, Anna Abito, uh, the character that's uh, grimacing. Maybe they all start to, uh, yeah. Oh, no, there's other ones. Let me skip the ones we've seen. There's another one for soba, which has soba, what seems to be soba noodles. And, again, this is very detailed uh, painting. Uh, one for sashimi. It looks like a salmon. There's uh, more springs. Let's see if we got any other characters in the springs. There's another one with two boats uh, against the water that costs a three-pack. Uchiwa, U-C-H-I-W-A, that's a fan, and it's a one-coin symbol. And it looks like the fan has, it's a kind of, oh man, the color again. You see, is that a pink? No, it's not. It's like a, a pink meets a magenta. And it has a, what looks like maybe a bird or a rabbit painted on it. Uh, next one seems to be a wrapped package. We don't know what it is. Furoshiki. F-U-R-O-S-H-I-K-I. And it's a striped uh, package or bundle uh, tied up at the top and uh, in these different hues of uh, blues. And that's uh, two coins, and it has a clothing symbol. Uh, this next one is some sort of a dump- three dumplings in a bowl. Uh, uh, manu, M-A-N-U-U, or Manju, M-A-N-J-U. And that one is a one coin, and then it has a new symbol, which is a circle with like a, what look like four rolls uh, in it. Uh, then we have uh, uh, Aniabito, another character card, uh, Miko, and she's kind of standing, and she has a similar coins underneath her and a coin going into a grayscale gate. Uh, the next one is uh, Dango, D-A-N-G-O, and it has uh, three circular, uh, I assume it's food, uh, on a skewer. In three sets of those. So it looks like it might be a sweet to me, but I'm just assuming. And that has a single coin and then a six-pack uh, symbol. Uh, don, don Buri, uh, which is a bowl uh, with uh, some eggs and some meats. And uh, it looks like uh, maybe some soy. That's a three-coin and a six-pack symbol. Uh, washi, which uh, it looks like uh, is uh, some uh, material, uh, like a bolt of clothing or uh, 
folded up a piece of linen. Uh, that's a one coin symbol. Uh, yuki, yu, yuki oye, uh, or oki yoi, uh, oki or uki yoe. This is three coins. It seems to be some sort of uh, painting or print. Very beautiful, very beautiful. Uh, the next one is a coin. Uh, peto, uh, con peto, K-O-N-P-E-I-T-O. And it looks to be some sort of um, uh, sweets and purple, pink, yellow, green, and blue uh, on a plate. Uh, kind of just, uh, I don't know if what you'd call them. They look a little bit like the shape of Everlasting Gobstoppers in the original movie. That's a one-coin symbol and a four uh Roll symbol. Let me just see if we got anything. There's tofu in here. There's Thai mishi, mishi, uh, which is a fish and rice dish, it looks like. Uh, there's those verdant flooded flooded fields we talked about on the other card. There's a card with that. Uh, there's a card, uh, Kanzashi, K-A-N-Z-A-S-H-I. Uh, which uh, seems to be uh, a few things for the he- like your hair, uh, sake, uh, with a nice picture of that. That's two coins. Uh, ocha, O C H uh, A, which is a bowl of uh, greenish, greenish liquid. Uh, miso shuri, uh, which is a bowl of uh, uh, like a miso type look. M I S O S H I R U. Oh, miso shuru. Uh, dango, tofu, unagi, uh, more. Oh, here's another spring shot. It's a little bit different. It has two monkeys in the spring, but there's also blossoms where the other uh, spring was in more of a winter shot. Uh, daifuku, uh, which is a, uh, like, it looks like some sort of uh, pink, uh, uh, with, uh, food or, uh, dessert. Uh, with a dark, dark burgundy center to it. Uh, that one is two coins. Uh, Netsuki, uh, it's N-E-T-S-U-K-E. This one I, is a really, it's a two coins. It uh, has a rope uh, uh, being poured out of uh, what looks like some sort of brass uh, sculpture. Uh, I don't know, I should know more about that. Uh, uh, Kamaboko, uh, which is a, ro- a pink roll with a light pink inside, which is sliced. So, wow. I mean, these are just uh, yakitori, uh, sushi. So some of these, uh, let's see. There's one card that has like every single dish on it. Uh, so that must be lucky if you get that one. Uh, here's one that's just a, a blue uh, bowl or vessel. Uh, Yunomi, U-N-O-M-I. There's another one that looks like a piece of art. Sumi, S-U-M-I-E, or Sume. There's another character card. Shokunin, Shokunin, Kunin, S-H-O-K-U-N-I-N. Samurai, there's one. That costs three packs. 
there's also a card that has all of like the kind of store items you might buy. Uh, Gofu, which seems to be uh, almost like an envelope on the end of a red string. The envelope's gold. Another vessel, beautifully, beautifully painted uh, reds and uh, dark reds with a fish on top and waves, uh, some, some sort of vase or uh, just a decorative vessel. Uh, uh, Shai Kai, uh, Shikai, Shiki, uh, S-H-I-K-K-I. Uh, again, let me just keep running through this. Is, I mean, I'm still, I'm only halfway through these cards. There's one card that has all of the characters. Uh, Sandogasa, that's a, a hat. Uh, there's a, 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 a collection of boxes. Uh, wow, yeah, we really, you could go, we could go through all of these all day long. So, so again, just a level of detail. This is just one more set of the game. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't go through the game board, at least for a little while. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the instructions. This will be just interesting. And, I mean, this definitely seems like a game to add to your uh, collection uh, because it just got great reviews, and it seems to be a game about being in the moment. Uh, and the game board really doesn't reveal too much about uh, the gameplay. I know you're going uh, back. You can go in either direction, I believe. Uh, from Edo to Kyoto or Kyoto to Edo. Uh, but the first is a three-piece, uh, three-section game board. And the most left section, uh, wow, it has, uh, it has numbers at the top. Uh, it's, uh, let's say, first it has, there's two rows of numbers. The first are all the odd numbers. And the second row is all the even numbers. Uh, so on the bottom row, it goes 0, 2, uh, 4, 6, 8, 10, uh, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, 28, 30, 32. All the way up uh, on the last board to 100. And then on the top, obviously, it goes to odd numbers, 1, 3, 5. But some numbers have, uh, oh, every, if you count by fives, uh, uh, the the all the other numbers are in kind of a brownish gray scale, maybe uh, not quite a sepia, more of a gray scale sepia. Uh, but all the the every fifth number is uh, done in a maroon. So zero five, fifteen, twenty, all have a maroon color. And then on the first thing is like a, a mountain top building with a gate leading up to it, and the sun is. Uh, uh, blazing behind it, either setting or rising. I guess it seems like it's rising. And then there's uh, that, uh, it, it, this must be where you figure out the coins to the pack ratio, because uh, it says a coin, and then I don't know if that's equals one pack. Uh, so maybe one coin equals one pack. Uh, but then there's also these those uh, flower symbols I was talking about, uh, and I don't know if that represents your character, but so there's a, a uh, the like cayenne pink, uh, orangish, uh, red, uh, verdant green, the grayscale, and then the turquoise. And then it says like a two coin, uh, one coin equals two packs, uh, three coins equal four packs. Uh, I don't know how many coins equal seven or how many coins equal ten. I can't quite focus that closely. 
so it's uh, maybe you could buy more packs with more coins. It must be so what you can carry. And then you kind of have this like map rolled out with different stops on it uh, and different symbols that seem like they correspond to different cards. Uh, but again, there's not just there's so there's paintings and there's symbols. And then on the food base things, there's even a deeper, uh, there's these squares that go out b- b- below it. So it even like, uh, I don't know if those are the courses of the meals or what. Uh, uh, and, and again, there's just so much color here. And then even on the background, there's even some prints. Uh, it's a mostly uh, white background, but then there's different prints. Uh, that's just on the first uh, board. Let me go to the second. Uh, let me open up here. I'm on the second of the game, second and third. Okay, so then they have uh, uh, probably like a card pot, like places to place your cards uh, uh, to pull from. So they have the house at night lit up at the night. They have the hot spring cards. They have uh, the person that's in uh, uh, pinks and magentas carrying something cards. They have the food-based cards. They have the verdant uh, harvesting cards. Oh, here's sort of the paintings. So, so they have it for the for verdant harvesting cards, uh, uh, the mountain winter mountain cards in their paintings, and then the uh, the beautiful sea scenery painting. And like, uh, there's just so many. Uh, I don't even know how many different stops you could make. Uh, like starting at the end, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine, fifty. Like around 55, but you know, my maths usually are not off. And then they all have the different symbols. Uh, let's see, they, if they correspond to cards. Yeah, and each stop has a symbol corresponding to like the food card, the night house, or some of them correspond to the the painting cards. Uh, so, and I guess the idea is these are all stops you would make uh, to enjoy the journey. So I guess you're stopping for food. I don't, I can't, I don't know exactly. I guess I didn't, like maybe the night house is like a hotel where all the travelers meet one another. Maybe that must be what that is. Uh, uh, then there's a, uh, the, there's a golden uh, colored uh, symbol. I don't know if there was cards corresponding to that. Maybe that's where you go shopping. Uh, the spring, where you go chill out. Well, one of them must be for shopping. Then there's the food one. Maybe the night house is where you go shopping, and the person in the pink is like a fellow traveler that you meet. Uh, yeah, that might make more sense. And then it's just uh, maybe you collect coins. There's one yellow, uh, uh, like a house, or it looks like a. Again, it looks like there's some sort of, uh, like in the foreground, a couple of um, uh, grazing animals, but that has three coins above it. So I don't know if you stop there, uh, you get coins. There's also some of them that are further away from the board, uh, so I don't know what those symbols mean. But really, clearly, 
a game that has a, a lot of detail and a lot to uh, relax. You know, so I highly recommend, uh, you know, I'll be playing it soon. But there's just enough just to, obviously to, to, to enjoy and look at. Uh, and that's uh, Tokaido. So check it out at your local game store, ideally, uh, or wherever you purchase your games. Uh, good night. All right, everybody, this is a, like a, this may be the first legendary unboxing we've ever done. Uh, and also the first unboxing. We've ever done a lot of unboxings on this show. And I don't even know what's in this box exactly. It hasn't been opened yet. Uh, I unwrapped it before I came in the climbing closet or the Harry Potter closet. And I also brainstormed what I was going to call this. It's a, it's a, it's a, now, this, there's two kinds of versions of this. There's AD and D, and then there's D and D, which stands for drooling and dungahees. Uh, but despite what other people will tell you, and this is the starter set, so it's just straight up D and D, which is actually like your entry, like your entry into this game, uh, drooling and dungahees, uh, which is reversed from like the more pop culture. There's a pop culture game or a game that's a cultural phenomenon for the past like thirty, forty years. Uh, that is uh, a place and then a being. This one is uh, drool, drooling and droolers uh, and dungahees, which I'll talk about how I got the title. But I'm holding the box here. Uh, the box is about the size of a coffee table book and about the thickness of it. So it's not an extremely heavy box. And there's a lot of popular podcasts uh, that are versions of this called actual play shows. Uh, and a lot of amazing people, you know, our, our good friend Justin and his wonderful brothers, they have a show. Uh, I don't think the current season, currently I don't think they're playing uh, uh, D&D, but they're playing, you know, they, they have an actual play show, The Adventure Zone. Uh, there's also a lot of other amazing podcasts uh, I've met out there. Uh, there's also the the broadswords, which is an all women actual play D and D podcast uh, focusing on role play, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. And I had a chance to meet some of the people from the team uh, at PodCon, and they were amazing, amazing people. They also had an amazing booth, uh, and you can find them at uh, you can search right in your podcast app or go to uh, thebroadswords.com. So those are just two options for your D&D. This will not be an actual play. This will be just a barely uh, play. I guess I got to do some more. Well, I guess we could go as we go because there's actually like this is topical in some sense. I didn't realize it. Now you say, Scooch, what made you decide? Why do you have this? Oh, thanks for saying. Why do I have this in my hot little hand? Because I'd love it if my hand was hot. Uh, so hot. Uh well, it was on sale, $5, and I said, this could be cool. Like, I, was, like, uh, I don't think me and my daughter could just play D&D together. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Like, plus, for me, I didn't play a whole lot of D&D because I was the oldest of six kids. And I was, like, a chaotic, chaotic uh, in general. Yeah, I guess this is going to be a lot of memory road stuff uh, in addition to unboxing. And, and believe it or not, I have a couple books that I've been holding on to that, you know, if this works, we could go through more. So, okay. So let's go back to the box. We'll see what this leads, but hopefully I'll talk about, uh, uh, Dragonlance novels and 
owe my cousin who who designed his own. And, and again, I guess I owe him an amends, well, multiple ones anyway, uh, because he had actually designed his own role-playing game uh, based on James Bond. Sorry, sorry, I guess I'll bring it up now. Sorry, John, if you're hearing this. Uh, or a- Abby or Betsy, you could tell John. I, uh, well, just remind me to, to apologize to your brother. But he had designed it one one summer, and he was very excited about it. And I t- I'm not the best person. To, if you're enthusiastic about something, I'm working on this. Uh, I guess I've been working on it my whole life uh, thus far with uh, interesting results. And I do wish I had a time machine because I would have been excited now. But he had designed his own uh, James Bond-based uh, or spy-based uh a game based off of D&D and the rules of D&D, or maybe AD&D, which just stands for advanced, which just means more complicated, maybe more math. And uh, he, I remember, I, like these are, sometimes your memories are like so crystal clear. I can remember because we were in Pulaski, New York, and we were sitting at this table where we tended to play games. And I think he tried to get me and my brother, Car- like he, he kept explaining to it because he was very excited uh and he had, like, different vehicles. A lot of people do this, uh, and it takes a lot to design your own game. You know, different character traits and different things. Uh, and we may have played it for, like, I mean, this is something you have to commit to, like, either a campaign, but, like, it, it flourishes best when you're uh, uh, doing it on a regular basis. And so, uh, like, uh, what was my point? My point was... Uh, did I have a point? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, because he was really excited about it, and I don't think we played it very much. And at the time, I mean, just like now, my thinking tends to, to, to detract me from things I would be enthusiastic about. Uh, and you say, well, I got I got other things to to, to do. I got to think about school. You know, we're on break from school. I got to I got to think about school. Sorry. Uh, so. I missed out on a great opportunity to play that game. And uh, I guess uh, that was just my point. Uh, But it was cool. Like, so these are adaptable and inspirable rules, I think. And eventually I'll talk about some of my other memories of D&D. But so the cover of this game. Now, the reason it's called Droolers and Dungahees, you might say, Scoots, uh, is a lot of the beings in there are drooling. And it's called drooling damage. Like if you have any uh, pet-like animal that is drooling for uh, this one, just happens to be some sort of in the universe. Well, there's like the parallel existence, I think, uh, and then there's the universe. Maybe all wild beings or semi-tame beings uh, have the propensity to drool and spittle and stuff. Uh, and you can get drool damage. Obviously, there's a lot of different ways, like ruining your clothes, slipping, you know, tons of different things. Now, this is also indulging in a fantasy world. So on the cover of this game is a giant turtle that, like, the biggest turtle you could ever imagine. And so cute. So a green turtle, its head is coming out of its shell. And that's dominating it. And it says D&D starter set, age 12 plus. And there's even drool and drool vapor coming out of the turtle's mouth. The turtles, they, I think they call it a maw, not on a turtle usually, but uh, 
like meaning your the turtle's mouth is spread wide with a smile, huge, huge, huge smile. Oh, so huge, the smile of this turtle. And then a character who looks like a knight. Uh, again, this is based in a medieval-style world, you, you know, a bit like a game, GOT, which maybe I'll try to release this episode right around the start of the GOT season. So this is a knight. The knight is wearing both plate mail and chain mail. And then the knight has a shield, which in this world you used to, defo- especially giant drool. I mean, we're talking about a creature. This turtle is the size of way bigger than a school bus. I'm trying to think of what a, like just a turtle's head is probably the size of a school bus. So it drooling on you. But wait, school buses aren't really a thing anymore in a lot of places. Uh, but a bus, a city bus would be another one. Uh, I mean, this thing is the size of, like, buildings, uh, like two- or three-story apartment building. And it's beginning to drool on this knight uh, who has a beard. Also something, I believe the knight's wearing a cape because something's flowing off the back of the knight. Uh, They look to be in a forest. I don't think it's a forest of feelings. That's where the Care Bears live. This doesn't have any... I wonder if anybody ever came over the Care Bear role-playing game. How come, like, uh, you know, we gamify everything. Uh, here's just a, just a thought, just, you know, free idea if you're going to, you know, until you monetize it and then give me uh, like uh, 80% of the money. You know, if you could get the rights to make a Care Bear, Care, Care Bear, Care Bear role-playing game, then base it on actual uh, uh, healthy practices, uh, you know, establishing resilience and uh, assertiveness and health, like those kind of things, uh, but but in a subtle way, you know, not on the nose, like, uh, you know, then the, and to feel your force to feelings, like all those feelings. This could be something I'll work on. Uh, but then it says uh, uh, droolers and donkeys, everything you need to know to start playing the world's greatest role-playing game. And one of these things uh, this thing's famous for is just the art. Uh, now, I don't see a credit for the art on the cover. Now, the side of one of the boxes uh, has, uh, it says starter set, and it says Droolers and Dungahees, uh, registered trademark. And then it has uh, two uh, uh, characters, uh, I guess, uh, like a... I'm going to try to go through this game without assuming genders of characters. Uh, But these are two characters. One seems to be a cleric uh, holding a staff uh, and uh, one hand outreached uh, in a kind of robe. Um, And so I'm not sure. It could be a magic user. Then behind that character... Possibly, like, it has a character is uh, floating in the air with flowing white robes and the hair of the character's float, float, flowing. Uh, pointy ears, so it could be, like, a spirit-based being or another spellcaster, but I would assume, and also the moonlight seems to be reflecting off of both characters. Uh, and it does look like a cloudy, moonlit sky. I don't see a moon, but that character does seem to be one finger is like being held in like a okay symbol, but possibly casting a spell. Uh, the two ends of the box, uh, 
so the short sides of the box, they just say starter set. And then the other side has a, uh, uh, what I'm guessing is a dwarf, uh, in very heavy plate mail, which is a thing in a giant shield. Looks like it might be looking over at the turtle or something else, uh, holding a hammer and I know dwarves are known for being very strong, but this is like very heavy plate mail, very heavy helm, uh, meaning made out of some sort of metal. Then uh, the the uh, the hammer is very big, and then a very very big shield. Like I don't even know what you call those kind of shields, but but gigantic. Okay, now uh, uh, when we flip it over, is the back side of the box. Uh, in the back side of the box says, Explore Subterranean Labyrinths, uh, Plunder Hordes of Treasure, uh, Battle uh, Legendary Droolers. And then it says, uh, The Droolers in Dungahees started, said, It's your gateway to an action-packed stories of imagination. The box contains the essential rules of the game, plus everything you need to play, heroic characters, and a... a a journey, an adventure in worlds of fantasy. And it says game components. It comes with a 64-page adventure book with everything the DM needs to get started. The Dungahees Master. A 32-page rule book for playing characters at levels 1 through 5. Uh, five pre-generated characters, each with a character sheet and supporting reference materials. And six game dice. I think we do have a 20-sided die. Uh, now, when you're ready for even more, expand your adventures with the 5th edition Player's Handbook, uh, uh, Dungy's Master's Guide, and uh, Drooler's Manual. Then it has a being, a drooling being on there, which uh, it seems to be a giant version of, like, uh, like one of those hairless... Uh, uh, like, uh, I don't know, what are those usually dogs that are hairless? Or a naked mole rat. I'd say probably like a giant naked mole rat. Uh, though it does have some material in its, uh, but it's standing on two legs and yawning, saying, huh, I think I'm going to go to sleep now. Uh, below that, it has some details from maps from the game. Then it has the box that I'm holding in my hand, and then... Uh, a nice spread of, like, the materials inside. Let's see what these credits say. Here's a website. Uh, suggest, I wonder if I paid $10 or $5 for this. Uh, suggest a retail price in 1999. Uh, oh, yeah, Wizards of the Coast. It used to be, used to be it, was, it was a different company. Uh, and I don't like I don't want to talk about the company or the people behind it just because I don't want to um, look like I'm making light of it or anything. So, uh, you know, you could do all that research. Uh. Okay, so when I open the top of the box, uh, the first thing I see is the dice, which we'll have uh, something to talk about right away. Uh, then there's the, the adventure, it looks like. Lost Mind of P-H-A-N-D-E-L-V-E-R. Oh, and the characters, oh, this is interesting, cool. Like, uh, so this is, gives us some good descriptions here. Uh, this is, but it's f Fan, P-H is F, right? Fand Elver, Fandelver, 
the lost mind of Van Delver. And behind that is all of the art from the cover and the sides of the box combined. So you have uh, the drooling turtle, who's even bigger, because you can see his shell, because you can see the turtle's shell in this picture. They seem to be in some sort of uh, uh, place with, like, an older place that's a little run down. I see some pillars. Uh, the turtle's actually, one of the turtle's paws is on a pillar. There looks to be a ton of treasure, maybe a waterfall in the back left, uh, and then the characters. So, so we have the dwarven character. We have the knight uh, blocking the drool. What looks to be mist uh, from, there also seems to be some sort of uh, magical casting going on of a sh drool shield uh, between one of the other two characters from the other side of the box. Uh, and it seems like the one character with the flowing robes is not necessarily floating in the air, but maybe standing on some stairs. Uh, so I'm, I opened the uh, dice. I did want to so these dice have um, the color, they're colored in. I remember I got AD&D probably for a, a, a birthday present one year. Because it, mostly I was obsessed with the storytelling and the art of it. Uh, and I never really got to play a lot of D&D. &D. But I do remember when I got my dice that you're supposed to color the dice in with a crayon and then wipe it off with a tissue, which I didn't understand. Uh, like somehow my brain, and I think my cousin, the same one I like showed me or, or kind of said, this is why I do it. I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that with my dice. Uh, it just makes them easier to read. Uh, but these dice seem to be painted. So it looks like we have a 12-sided die. Uh, um, does it have a zero? Would it be? No, because then there's a eight-sided, which would be a nine-sided die, because it has a zero. Oh, no, this might have more than that, because it has a nine. It also has, okay, that's how you tell the six from the nine, eh? So I guess this is a ten-sided diamond die. Uh, then we have a six-sided die. All my dice are, are um, a blue-black, uh, kind of shimmering, uh, like almost like a faux obsidian. I don't know. They seem to be made to be painted that way. Uh, then we have another diamond dice that's eight-sided, like four on each end of the diamond. Um... Yeah, with the marking, so you know which uh, six is up or down. Yeah, then we have a triangle die, which I okay. Oh no, I guess it's uh, a four-sided die. So whatever's pointing up, you have one, two, three, or four. But you can read it from all sides of the pyramid. Pyramid die. And then oh, the famous twenty-sided die that everyone talks about or jokes about. Uh, it really cool in this light. It really uh, it has good reflection. I know uh, listeners have sent me dice in the past. And then, uh, so in the rest of the box is the uh, Lost Mind of uh, Fandelver, which is the thickest and heaviest thing. Uh, then is the Starter Set Rule Book. Uh, yeah, starter Set Rule Book has, is a close-up of the, uh, the same art from the box. Ian from the cover of The Lost Mind of Vindelver. And then are some uh, stat sheets. Uh, 
including the ones, uh, well, they don't have names, but including the pre-made ones, uh, which I guess we'll read through at some point. That'll be fun. And it doesn't look like they have any uh, blank ones, which I know uh, is always fun. Making your character usually takes up the whole time of like, uh, so that's like another thing why you got to really commit to playing the game. Yeah, but since I have the uh, the uh, characters in my hand, so the characters don't have a name. I was thinking before I recorded this, I was like, think of a character name real fast, uh, Scoots. And my brain said Dirk Bath Salts. Uh, and they said, it's a little on the nose, uh, but I do like it. So so let's see. Let's just read through this. This character, character is a cleric one. That's a class and level. It's a soldier. It's a hill dwarf, and it's neutral good. And it has a, a 14 in strength plus 2, uh, 8 in dexterity minus 1, a 15 in constitution plus 2, a 10 in intelligence. I think it, it thinks this uh, dwarf is less dexterity. Its dexterity is lower than its intelligence, but wise, though. So not super intelligent, but wisdom is a 16 plus 3. It's his strongest characteristic, uh, and its charisma is a 12 plus 1. It has a 13 in passive wisdom, and again, I don't really know a lot about this stuff. It has no inspiration, plus 2 proficiency bonus, uh, and then its saving throws are, uh, oh, that's what I just listed. So I guess those numbers, oh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, its saving throws are plus 2 for strength, minus 1 for dexterity, Plus two for constitution, plus zero for intelligence, plus five for wisdom, and plus three for charisma. And then also some other things it has. In acrobatics, it's a negative one. Animal handling, that's a part of wisdom, uh, plus three. Maybe there's, oh, these are skills uh, that they've learned. Arcana, uh, zero. Athletics, plus four. That takes strength, uh, Deception, oh dear, what kind of neutral good, but it's uh, plus one. History, plus zero. Insight, though, that's due to wisdom, plus three. Intimidation, oh, because of the charisma, huh? Like, this is a charismatic character, plus three. Investigation, plus zero. Medicine, plus five. Nature, plus zero. Perception, plus three. Performance, uh, plus one. I, uh, what happens if you have performance anxiety? Is that a negative? I ain't even talking about that. I'm talking about like uh, in a front of a crowd. Persuasion, plus one. Religion, plus two. Slate of hand, minus one. Stealth, minus one, plus a star. And uh, getting by, plus three. Uh, other proficiencies in languages, all armor, shields, all simple stuff, uh, 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 things for chopping, hammers, uh, hammers, uh, playing cards, mason tools, and ve- land vehicles. Uh, speaks common and dwarfage, stone cunning. Uh, whenever you make an intelligence uh, check related to the origin of stonework, uh, you are considered proficient in a history skill and add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of your normal proficiency bonus. So this dwarf knows stone. 18 armor class, minus one initiative, speed is 25 feet. Uh, Its drool points are 11. 
It's uh, drool dice is 1d8. Uh, let's see what it's currently carrying. A hammer of uh, uh, what is it good for, which is a plus four. And, uh, and then it does a 1d8 plus two. Uh, and then also has a chopper choppy, which is a plus four. Uh, 1d6, though, plus two. It can also throw that uh, choppy choppy poo. Like if you wanted to, like there's a, those bars now where you throw them up to 20 feet or up to 60 feet uh, with disadvantage on the on the uh, the roll. Can trips, uh, you know, light sacred flame, thumb, thumb, some kind of like metallurgy, but thaminurgy, and cast them at will. Descriptions are found in the rule book. Uh, oh, this oh, because it's a cleric. It has uh, plus two first level spell slots. Uh, you could prepare four first level spells to make available for you. Uh, choosing from the cleric spell list in the rule book. In addition, you always have two domain spells prepared: bless and cure. Equipment: uh, chainmail. Uh, but that dis that is what's bad on dexterity. Shield, hammer, uh, two of the cutty poos, uh, holy symbol, a backpack, a crowbar, hammer, ten pittens, uh, ten torches, a tinderbox, uh, ten days of rations, water skin, fifty feet of rope, mason tools, uh, a uh, pen uh, pen thing, a tr- a deck of playing cards, common clothes, pouch, and a rank insignia of a sergeant. Personality traits, I'm always polite and respectful. Also, I trust I don't trust my gut feeling, so I wait for others to act. Ideals, respect. People deserve to be treated with dignity and courtesy. Wow, we're in the same ballpark here. Bonds, three cousins. Gundren. Thardren and Nundro, Rockseeker, who are my friends and cherished clan members, who are my friends and cherished family members. I secretly wonder whether the gods care about mortal fairs at all. That seems to be something that comes up in D&D, like uh, uh, spellcasting ability. Wisdom is a spellcasting ability for your spells. Uh, Disciple of life. Uh, uh, so, see, so yeah, I don't want to read everything word for word out of here. Uh, oh, wow. There's also a whole back page I didn't realize. Uh, uh, so, really, a lot of details. And these other characters, let me just run through. And, uh, ooh, the next person's a noble human, lawful neutral. Uh, what do they do? Like, what's their thing, though? Oh, fighter one. A very strong 16 plus 3, not much dexterity. Constitution side, 15 plus 2. Not, this isn't a smart group, 11 plus 0, but wise, 13 plus 1. And charismatic, uh, 14 plus 2. Let's see, this person's got a plus 5 in athletics, uh, plus 3 in perception, plus 4 in perception or persuasion, plus 2 in performance. Uh, so this is like a not a super dexterity, so far, low dexterity, uh, high wisdom, high charisma. They have a speed of 30 feet. I don't know what that means. Uh, 17 armor class. Uh, 
they roll with a like an axe and a javelin, which they could throw thirty feet. They also have chain mail. That's why they can't do anything. They have a second wind. They have a limited well of stamina. They can draw on if they need it. Uh, they can be defensive. Uh, thanks to their noble birth, people are in a position of privilege, uh, inclined to think the best of you. Welcome in high society. So, uh, you know, noble uh, personality. My flattery makes others feel wonderful and important. I don't like to get dirty, though. And it wouldn't be caught in uh, unsuitable accommodations. Responsibility is my ideal uh, to protect the common people. Uh, roll with my axe, which is a family heirloom. And this person uh, is a flaw. They have a hard time resisting the allure of wealth, especially gold. Looks like they're looking to restore some legacy. And next up is a Rogue One Lightfoot Halfling. So they have very little strength, 8 minus 1, very high, real high dexterity, 16 plus 3, constitution is 12 plus 1, intelligence 13 plus 1, low wisdom. So this is like a kid, 10 plus 0. Uh, but again, high charisma, 16 plus 3, so a likable group, a very high, plus 7 in stealth and plus 5 in sleight of hand, plus 5 in performance, look out, uh, plus 3 in investigation, and plus 5 in deception and aerobatics, aer 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 what do you call that? Aerobatics, uh, aerob yeah, I think so. Uh, they can sneak, uh, 14 armor class, 25 feet, uh, personality. I don't have a plan, but I'm great at making things up as I go along. Loyal to my friends, uh, Bonds, Quailene uh, Alderlead, my aunt, uh, has a farm in Fandalin, and I gave her, like, I always give her cash. But also once was a member of the Red Brands, uh, uh, they can speak thieves can't, uh, they're lucky, brave, uh, nimble, naturally stealthy, can talk to the, like, uh, the seedy sailors and, and the such. So that's a rogue, uh, folk hero. What the heck? Yeah. Fighter one, human, lawful, good folk hero. I hope they're a folk singer. Very strong. 14 plus two, very dexterity, high dexterity. Uh, 16 plus 3. That's the same as our rogue. Uh, Constitution's high. This person's got everything. Constitution, uh, 15 plus 2. Not smart. Uh, or, well, 11 plus 0. What Wisdom, uh, 13 plus 1. Not likable, though. They're a folk hero, but their charisma's 9 minus 1. Let's see what they're good at. Animal handling, error. Or, you know, their dexterity, good at history, plus two, perception, plus three, self, plus three, slate of hand, plus three. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, they have uh, SWORD and a bow, leather leather armor. Uh, when I set to my, my mind to something, I follow through. Sincerity is my ideal. Bonds, one day Thunder Tree will be a prosperous town again and a statue of me. This sounds a bit like Gaston. I mean, Gaston was Gaston's own folk hero. 
I'm convinced of the significance of my destiny and blind to my shortcomings. That's my flaw. Uh, they have rustic hospitality. Uh, since Oh, because they're folk hero because they're common. And they can hide out among them. They also have a second wind. I'd like to know what the heck they did to have be a folk hero. Uh, trying to see background. Uh, from Thunder Tree, east of the city of Neverwinter, uh, but nearby Mount Hottenau erupted a while, 30 years ago. And they drifted from village to village. Uh, but they've been in uh, Neverwinter for the last few years as a porter. And it's clear to you and everyone around you that you're destined for much more. Well, they want to be a folk hero, I guess. Well, good luck with that. This one's funny. Uh, Wizard 1 and high, uh, high Elf. Uh, are they high all the time? They're an acolyte, uh, chaotic good. And let's see, they're not strong, no offense, 10 plus 0. Dexterity's pretty good, 15 plus 2. Constitution's 14 plus 2. Intelligence, it's Apazoo, 16 plus 3. Wisdom, 12 plus 1, and Charisma's 8 minus 1. So they could probably hide in the background. Uh, 5 on Arcana, you know, that's magic type stuff. History and Insight, they're good. Plus 5 in Investigation. Plus three in perception, plus five in religion. Uh, let's see. It can trips. Uh, they know mage hand, pre-prestidigitation pre, or something, frost ray, uh, grasping poo, and they can cast them at will. They have two, two first level spell spots, uh, four just like very similar. So they could pick out of there. Uh, they use polysyllabic words that convey the uh, impression of erudition or whatever. I can uh, also I spent so long in the temple that I have experience, uh, little experience dealing with people on a casual basis. Uh, knowledge, the path to power and self improvement is through knowledge. Uh, the tome I carry with me, they're writing their own biography, it turns out. Uh, and they want to uncover historical secrets. They can see in the dark for 60 feet. Uh, they don't need to sleep. They can just go into a meditative trance for four hours a day. Uh, they can't be charmed uh, or put to sleep. And they're a servant, a servant of the Ogham, Ogma, and... They can perform the rites of that. They could also probably stay there for free, yeah, visit the temple. Let's see. Uh, what else do we need to know about them? Uh, yeah, they've been, that's the all-seeing God of knowledge. That, Of course, the name I can't pronounce, so that's embarrassing. Yeah, they're chaotic good because their pursuit and acquisition of knowledge is for the benefit of all, and they shared freely. So that's a little bit about them. They're an elf, uh, which is an uh, otherworldly grace, uh, living in the world, but not entirely part of it. Uh, so the rule book, let's just, let's just run through some of the art. Oh, my goodness. Jackpot. Uh, as soon as you open up the rule book, uh, and I definitely remember this picture, there's a group, uh, maybe, our, well, like different. There's two elves that are around a campfire. 
you're definitely like a warrior type, a rogue type, uh, a halfling type, uh, somebody like a wizard, somebody like uh, the warriors are looking right at me, and a dwarf that's a sound asleep, uh, and they seem to be the wizard type. There's somebody with a staff, like with real fancy robes, they seem to be making a speech about something. And the road character seems to be warming their hands. Uh, then if we go even deeper in, uh, it shows like uh, when people are go- like dealing with the droolers. Uh, so we have uh, like uh, one uh, knight type character uh, dealing with two uh, like puppies that are kind of trying to drool. Uh, then... Uh, uh, some sort of elven, maybe more of a, um, with a little cat type of thing in there, uh, dealing with droolers and trying to distract the puppies with, uh, by playing fetch. Then on one side of the uh, painting is, uh, some sort of spellcaster with something blue, kind of like Jedi robes on, and a dwar- dwarf. Dwarves are very popular. This dwarf has, uh, gigantic beard uh, chapter 3 opens with some art another dwarf this dwarf has a what is it beard when you uh, when you do that with your hair not a ponytail but uh, you like uh, braids uh, braided beard one two three four five braids uh, and they kind of seem like they're going down the stairs dwarfs in the front then another uh, warrior type uh, rogue or uh, some other, whatever those dexterous things are, and then a caster in the back with, like, a glow stick. And he's real cool, flowing white robes with a hood, which I like, uh, in, like, a leather, brown leather. So another kind of Star Wars-esque level character. Uh, there's also on some pages, like, little pieces, like there's one with, like, a lantern, a rope, uh, playing cards, and a sharpening tool. And maybe a map behind it. Chapter four does talk about spell casting, and we have a blue fleshed creature in a blue or a gray fleshed creature with blue, dark blue hair, in a two or three tone blue robe, uh, casting a spell next to a kind of a giant old log, and really working hard at it. Oh, I just saw one of the words I couldn't pronounce. Let me see. Let's see, sleep is a first level enchantment. Uh, casting time is one action, 90 feet. Uh, if co- components you need are V, S, and M. Pinch of fine sand, rose petals, or a cricket. The duration is one minute. The spell uh, sends people into magical slumber. Roll a 5d8. And the total is how many uh, hit points of uh, the droolers this spell can affect. Uh, creatures within 20 feet of a point you choose within range are affected, increasing order of their current points, ignoring uh, ones that are already sleeping. Starting with the uh, uh, being that has the lowest current points, each uh, one falls asleep until the spell ends. Oh, it only lasts one minute. Where's that predict designation or whatever? Ryan P. Yeah, here it is. Uh, it's a transmutation cantrip. Uh, I don't know if that's can- cantrip. Yeah, one, pre press a tig 
Prestigitation. Prestigitation. A minor magical trick that novice spellcasters use oh, for practice. Uh, you can do one of these. Uh, you can create a sensory effect. Well, this is pretty cool. Or an odd odor or musical notes. Light or snuff out a candle. Uh, clean or soil an object. And don't, this is, sounds like they're a blast to be around. Yeah, clean or soil an object. Chill, warm, or flavor. That's what it says, up to one cubic foot of non-living material for an hour. That'd be good if your kid uh, chewed their nails or something. Make a color, a small mark, or a symbol for an hour. Uh, create a non-magical trinket or illusionary, illus- illusory image uh, that can fit in your hand and last till the end of your next turn. If you do this multiple times, you can have three of its non-instantaneous effects active at a time. And you can, can dis, dismiss such effects as an action. Okay, let's finish up with this guide to the lost mind of Fandelver. It's uh, 64 pages, so we really don't have to get, uh, to get into the weeds. We'll just dig some of the art. Oh, boy. Uh, so we got uh, an overall map, uh, which shows uh, north, south, east, and west. And the west side is a, co- is a coast. Uh, and a coastal city Neverwinter, and the high road runs north and south through Neverwinter. If you head south, uh, like on the high road, you reach Lelon, L-E-I-L-O-N, and then you head in between the mountains down to the M-E-R-E, Mare, maybe another sea. Maybe there's, oh no, it seems like a swamp that the road runs along. Uh, also in the south are the Sword Mountains, the Cryptogarden Forest, K-R-Y-P-T-G-R-D-A-N, is behind the Sword Mountains. Looks pretty hard to get to. I think somebody was from Fandalin, or maybe that's where the whole game takes place. Uh, there's Wind Echo Cave, Ice Spire Peak, Wervin Tor. These are all in like little foothills, uh, maybe. Old Owl Well, good old Owl. I'd like to go there. Then, if you go back up to Neverwinter, there's a river flowing through Neverwinter uh, that heads east uh, to Thunder Tree. Then there's a giant forest, Neverwinter Wood. Uh, so, in the center of the map, but south, this is a hex map, uh, is Cragmaw Castle in the middle of Neverwinter Wood. Whatever the river is, uh, really spreads out. It, it looks like it comes from a couple different uh, mountains and hills. There's Agatha's Lair in the Tribor Trail. Uh, Agatha's Lair is on the edge, just in case you want to visit her. It's the eastern edge of Never, eastern south, southeastern edge of Neverwinter Wood. And Coneyberry is near Agatha. Then there's this, all the way on the east side of the map is the Star Metal Hills, the center east. In the central north are the crags. And then, like, uh, where Neverwinter Wood is split uh, south of the crags by Mount Hottenau, which came up uh, with somebody's history. And there's also an unnamed forest uh, to the west and north of Neverwinter Woods in the Mount Hottenau and the, the crags. And this is where the adventure begins. There's also the Cragmaw Hideout, uh, 
which is in some of the, like, uh, crag somewhere inside. There's briars, there's a bridge, there's an escarpment, there's a, r- a river running through it, indoor river, or with a... Uh, where water moves fast, there's rubble, there's a stalagmites, uh, there's a handmade steps in the stone, stone walls, and also supplies, which I don't want to give away. One square does equal five feet. Uh, there are NPC party members, uh, uh, but they might only join the party for a short time during one of these adventures. Uh, then we have a nice painting of some mushrooms. And on the other side, we have some, uh, I don't know what kind of creatures they are, but uh, they're definitely droolers. Uh, They seem, uh, they're pointing at something. They're in some crags. The crags are carved with uh, uh, giant turtles. Oh, no, wait, there's one, two, three, four, five, and there's a sixth one up in, uh, standing on a tree. So they seem to be looking around uh, to do something. Yeah, then we have a fan. We'll finish off with you could think you could dream, hopefully dream about visiting Fan Dolan, Fan Dolan, because uh, it does look nice. Uh, from the south, the Miner's Trail leads in past a far a few farms. Uh, there's one on the left, and then another one on the right, another house on the left. Uh, as it rolls into town, uh, there's a uh, Halia's house uh, is near one of the. Uh, farms, then there's the Fandalen Miners Exchange, uh, then there's a woodworking, a woodworker right there, not long after you get into town, Lenin's home is there, there's the Lion Shield Coster, which may be a, uh, I don't know, is that a, um, what do you call it, like a place where you hang? Uh, Miners Trail splits up into town, you could stay in the, there's Harbin Wester's house, you could go visit Harbin. There's the elderly farm. I think that's a farm-to-table restaurant. Uh, there's the town master's hall, you know, if there's any official business. Uh, to the On the west side of town is the town green. There's the elder math orchard. Holy cow, if you're there in apple season, do yourself a favor. Go to elder math orchard. Uh, do some apple picking and then follow it up. Uh, Sister Gracali's house is there. And there's also a Shrine of Luck. You really want to just visit that. Uh, there's also a smithy on that side of town and kind of the northern uh, central town. And the Tribor Trail heads out out of, uh, out of there, past a few more farms. There's also Barthens Provisions, which is like uh, they have these like gobstoppers there or whatever you call them, mouth, whatever those called, mouth, uh, whatever, some, some candy to suck on. A great place. And Barthen actually lives behind the shop. Uh, there's a Stonehill Inn, which is a nice place to uh, uh, crash. Uh, but if you have time, make sure to go over to Sleeping Giant. Uh, that's where all the locals hang out. And, of course, looking over the town is uh, Trans Tresendar Manor, where the, uh, I don't know, where the rich people live, I think. And, I mean, there's a lot more adventure just in this kit. So it's like uh, if you see it on sale, uh, you know, definitely do it. Like Then you could get into AD&D. Uh, I did not get a chance to talk about Dragonlance, what I have talked about on the show before. But I have actually been reading because uh, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman are just uh, 
I don't know, this is novels just meant a lot to me when I was in, uh, like, uh, eighth grade, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade. And I may, may have reread them, like, once or twice, uh, including, like, in my thirties, uh, when I was going through a really hard time. And they offered me the same escape I had when I was in my angsty youth, uh, and I just read, I don't know if I reread them, but, uh, the la- two of the last three uh, Dragonlance novels they published, uh, which were kind of as uh, I think they were, they they included the original characters, uh, uh, but like what they were doing in between the main three books. So that's just a little bit about me and D and D and a little uh, box opening uh, to get you in the fantasy mood. Uh, thanks. All right, hey everybody, it's time for another uh, board game unboxing. Board, board game unboxing. And this one is a version of a game we've unboxed, uh, I think it was right before the start of the final GOT season. But this is a branded version of this. I saw it on sale. I couldn't not buy it. Uh, I just uh, took off the wrapping before I started recording, so I haven't opened the box yet. So I don't know what's in it. It's uh, I forget what the version of the game. It's like uh, uh, dinosaurs and dino pals, uh, or downstairs and dino pals is the name of the ga- game. It goes by other names. It's a role playing game. It has some other famous names, but uh, that I forget now. This one is based on a TV show that just ended. It's a, or not a TV show, a Netflix program that you watch on your screen a stream i don't know what you call it but uh it's one the third third season just came came out i've only watched 50 uh, percent of the, the third season it just because i went on a trip and uh it's i don't like as a parent i say okay this is a show i want to watch i don't i don't share with my kid my kid because i but so it's a famous show uh, very well known is uh, the show called Otter Things. Now you might think, who's this? The new Emmett Otter uh, show, procedural. Uh, and I said, no, no, that's yet. To, I just thought of that idea. Let me lock that down, even though I don't own any of the IP. But anybody from the Henson Company, if you want to get in on that sweet, sweet action with me, since you, I, I guess I, if you want to let me in on it, uh, Otter Things, O T T E R Things. Uh, we could do it. It wouldn't be a parody, maybe, or it could be. A, I don't know if it would be. Maybe, wow, that would be great. Uh, and I'm an Emmett Otter tri- tribute to the show that sounds like that, or the whole show recreated with Emmett Otter as uh, one of the characters. Who would Emmett Otter be? Uh, we could discuss that over the this program. Uh, but, no, this is a famous TV show, Otter Things, O-D-D. I think it's spelled O-D-D-E-R. Uh, things uh, beset in the 1980s, uh, strongly influenced by pop culture spanning those decades uh, by the Duffer Brothers, a br- brilliant, brilliant uh, show uh, that caught everybody's imagination just because uh, it was familiar yet new. And that's what uh, people love. Uh, you say, OK, this is stuff I was familiar. It's new. Great casting, great writing, great directing. And great performances, but this is a role-playing game based on the TV show Otter Things. And if you remember Otter Things, uh, it did have, it was, uh, let's see, how do I say this? Uh, there was also a, an 80s movie with a character, uh, Gizmo, who was a fuzzy little bear. Anybody, I don't know if they still have Snug, the Snuggle Bear for Snuggle Fabric Softener. 
or I guess Ted, there was that movie Ted, uh, uh, like, because uh, Ted looks a lot like this bear from Snuggle to, to commercials. Like, I didn't see, like, uh, but anyway, so uh, Gizmo was as cute as either one of those two bears, uh, but almost, almost kind of only part bear. And Gizmo's a bane, what, believe it or not, Gizmo's an antagonist, uh, in odder things, uh, because uh, Gizmo is uh, like a, li- a little bit like a Tribble from the Star Trek movies. I realize this is confusing, but it's you know, confusing in a sleepy way. Uh, but this does come with two... Uh, uh, now, in this movie, it, he's called uh, De- Demi Gizmo. Uh, and I don't know if that's because he's like... Uh, I don't know what the the Greek root or the Latin root D-E-M-I stands for. There's demi-glaze and there's demi-gizmo because uh, he's larger than this. But this comes with two exclusive demi-gizmo figures included. It's made by Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro Gaming. On the cover it has Will Byers and one of the demi-gizmos. Hopefully this doesn't reveal any of the plot of the third season because that would be a bummer for me. And it says uh, dragon, uh, d- 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 dinosaurs, and downstairs starter set. Everything you need to embark on an Otter Things adventure. O d d e r. Though we could rewrite it for Otter Things. Maybe I'll be Emmett Otter if I actually play this game. Uh, ages 14 plus, uh, three plus players. It also says ES, uh, E3702. It's a red with a little bit of, um, what is that called? When it looks like it's a, like a film, when the, the imperfections in film, maybe. Uh, then on the bi- bi- back cover, it says again, uh, dinosaurs and downstairs, odder things, embark on a, Downstairs and Dinosaurs Adventure created by Mike. So one of the main characters from Outer Things is Mike. Mike Wheeler from Hawkins, Indiana. This is quoting the back of it. Uh, create an awesome Downstairs and Dinosaurs Adventure. Now you get to play it. You get to pick your character. Will you be Will the Wise, Dustin the Dwarf? Uh, get your fireballs ready as you investigate the mysterious castle and... Uh, Try to, uh, like, win over the love of the fuzzy demi-gizmo. Because it's kind of like a pet. Like, you're trying to win the confidence and rapport of the pet uh, demi-gizmo. Will you make it out and have fun? Will you encounter a gizmo or seven? Did you pack your wrist, your, your uh, whatever that thing's called, that you pull the thing? Uh, yeah, think of it. Uh, prepare yourself for anything. Because this game just got odder. And it says it's great for the new uh, dinosaurs and uh, downstairs player. The content and odder things, adventure book, a rule book, uh, five uh, character sheets, uh, six dice, uh, two, uh, oh, a, a paintable uh, giz, demi-gizmo and then a demi-gizmo figure. So two figures. So I'm going to open the box so you won't hear this part. And uh, so the first part of the box has the dice, which already are, uh, have the, we talked about this the last time, like sometimes the dice, you're supposed to color them in with crayons. These already are printed. So they're blue sparkly dice with white paint. Uh, and then the two lovely uh, 
uh, demi-gizmo characters, one you could paint yourself. Uh, so it gives you even more things to do, fun, fun to be had. Now, I feel like last time we spent way more time on the rulebook and the character sheets, so I'm going to totally skip the rulebook. I think I was going through the art. Uh, it's Will Byers being so surprised by the cuteness of the demi-gizmo. He has a flashlight, his backpack, uh, and so, so uh, like, uh, I'm going to put the, do the rule book last if, if we have time. And then the character sheets, I'll just kind of run through which characters we have and then save those for last. Uh, but this is so you can get started right away. There's, uh, oh, they don't have character names, uh, but there's a hill dwarf, uh, bard three, entertainer, neutral good with 900 experience points. Uh, then there's a wood elf uh, who's an acolyte, cleric three, lawful good with 900 experience points. Uh, there's a human paladin three, soldier, lawful good, 900 experience points. And some of you outer things, play, you know, you're saying, well, who would Emma Outer be? There's a half-orc ranger three, outlander, neutral good, 900 experience points. Uh, Wizard 3, I think this is Will Byers, uh, Half Elf, Acolyte, Neutral Good, 900 experience points. They may all have that. So those are the starting characters. It doesn't come with any blank uh, sheets to create your own character, but that's what graph paper's for. Am I right or am I right? And this, so I'm just going to use the adventure book and then we'll keep an eye on the time here. This one is called. Uh, it says it's it's written just like Mike Wheeler actually made it, even though it has a Hasbro gaming thing on it, so you don't get confused. Uh, so it kind of looks like a notebook, uh, adventure book. The Hunt uh, for Cassandra, which is one of uh, uh, Gizmo, I guess this is like a particular demi-Gizmo, because uh, I guess instead of the movie where Gizmo was named, demi-Gizmo is a representative uh, species. And uh, did I say <laughs> uh, the, the search the search for uh, uh, Cassandra? And it has some drawing with an M, I think, uh, maybe from Mike Wheeler on graph paper with some fancy art. Uh, a D&D campaign by Mike Wheeler, but the R, the E for his name is kind of falling off. Like maybe these are stickers. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to just, uh, I may be quoting and, uh, uh, but they have a picture of Will the Wise over, like dressed as a wizard with his hand over a crystal ball inside a castle with the tower through the window, a tower in the background. It has the credits as Stan with exclamation point is the one who did and Ben, uh, Petrosaur. Uh, who who did the adventure? The cartography is by Stan with an exclamation point. Uh, Jeremy Crawford did the rule book. Uh, editing by Christopher Perkins, Chris Sims, Michelle Carter, Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, Scott Fitzgerald Gray, uh, Kim Mohan, uh, Phillips, Philip uh, Athens, and uh, Kate Welsh. Uh, D&D lead designers are Jeremy Crawford, Mike Merles, and the final, the 5th edition D&D design team, uh, Christopher Perkins, James Watt, Rodney Thompson, uh, Robert J. Schwab, 
Peter Lee, uh, Steve Townsend, and Bruce R. Cordell. Additional contributors, uh, uh, Greg Bilsland, uh, Matt Cernet, uh, Chris Duplay, Tom Lapeel, Richard Baker, Miranda Horner, Jennifer Clark Wilkes, Steve Winter, and Nina Hess. And this is based on the original D&D game uh, by Gary Gaix, uh, Dave Arneson, Brian Bloom, Rob Kuntz, uh, James Ward, and Don Kay. Okay, so first page is written on, uh, like, a loose-leaf paper. Note to myself as Dungeon Master. You should be able to, and I'm going to just paraphrase Will's, uh, or not Will, I'm sorry, Mike, uh, we should be able to do it in one night, this game, maybe a long weekend if Dustin gets so over the top. Uh, don't rush it. As long as everyone's having fun, let's take as long as necessary. It's all about the fun, according to Mike. Well, these are great room reminders. Describe each scene. Tell them what they see or hear or feel at the start and then let them go. Uh, they say what the characters do. I tell them what happens. Don't take control of their characters. I control everything else. Uh, the forest friends, the NPCs, uh, non-player characters like Sir Tristan, the environment, including uh, Toe Stubbers, and the dice reveal how things turn out. Uh, anything written with an underline can be found in the uh, forest friends section of the rule book. So this is very cute and a great way to start the game, I think. Don't worry too much about getting things right or being perfect as DM. That's short for Dungeon Master. That's short for Downstairs uh, Leader, uh, Meister. Uh, just relax, let things happen naturally, enjoy playing the game. If things get confusing, do what's fair, move on. Like the rule book says, my job as DM is to make sure everyone has a good time and the story moves along slow, smoothly. Thank you, Mike. So this is kind of a story, so I don't know. Uh, I'll just kind of give you the summary of it because I don't want to take the story. Like, uh, So every, you get summoned by Sir Tristan uh, in the Lonely Mountains. Uh, Cassandra has been appearing and uh, taking people's pies. Uh, and it's this beautifully cute f- f- creature that so, appears so often that people think there's more than one. But Sir Tristan only believes there's one. They, a lot of people think there's eight of them. And uh, it's uh, it drools when it sees pies. It leaves behind drool and fur. As cute as a bear is, it's a bit annoying to lose your pies. This is a big place where a lot of people eat pies. The Kingdom of Pies is uh, Cassandra or they call it the Cassandra, was last seen uh, going into a burrow uh, uh, that also was famous for uh, hosting troglodytes. Uh, the characters have to go in there and uh, deal, oh, stinky trogs, Mike calls them. you got to follow Cassandra's, oh, this is a whole story, so I don't want to, like, uh, after that you follow Cassandra and we'll see what happens, right? All right, so we pick it up with Sir Tristan. You, you, Sir Tristan's throne room. The characters have never met them. He did sponsor an earlier adventure. I don't know how adventure sponsorship works. I'd like to get on that. Uh, hey, Scoots, we'll give you and Ray 
let's say, 10 Gs to go to a theme park uh, and have fun. Consider it done. Bring me back some caramel corn and some cotton candy. Uh, but according to this, uh, Tristan's a kind leader, a good friend. Oh, they have met her before. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so it says lately there's this thing called the, the Cassandra. And it's been taking everybody's pies. Uh, it's also very fast and it hides quick. Uh, and they have no one's been able to catch it. A bit like Pokemon. Got to catch them all. And it never, it always vanishes and never leaves a trail. Now, they don't want to spend too much of uh, the industrial, you know, military industrial complex dealing with a pie thief, uh, you know, because Tristan's got his own things he's dealing with, you know. Plus, they haven't had any luck yet. So he wants them to catch up with the Cassandra and tame it and keep it for their own pet or if they can really tame it, uh, it, Sir Tristan has it says it's super cute. Uh, uh, so the, the, this is a note from Mike. Uh, you know, make sure this is a good conversation uh, with Sir Tristan. Uh, everybody's nice. Uh, they're the heroes. Uh, build up their confidence. Because uh, uh, sometimes uh, Will doesn't realize he's playing a character and not himself. Okay, so next thing is uh, gifts. Uh, he says big rewards if you do this. Uh, 100 gold, and uh, the characters could, uh, you know, uh, uh, try to negotiate for more. Uh, once they make a deal, uh, spoiler alert, Tristan's got a surprise. Uh, if the deal is fair, uh, he'll give them some magical equipment. Uh, if they were greedy... He won't give them anything extra. Uh, he starts with two bags of holding so they can easily carry uh, the, uh, the, the, the um, like they're good for pets because they have food in there and uh, plenty of air. And then one of the bags is to go like a, a magical portable kitty litter thing, whatever, uh, but for any animals. He also has a wand that makes pets uh, sleep and then a, a neon uh, staff uh, that's very hypnotic. Uh, it's called uh, Winner's Sweet Kiss. Uh, and it's it, when it's not lit up in neon, it uh, looks like black metal plus one against uh, trying to uh, charm the, uh, the Cassandra plus three. Uh, when used in the Upside Down, that's a famous theme park, uh, plus four. Okay, next thing is rumors on the road. Look at all these rumors surrounding me every day. The characters sing as they walk down the road. Just need some time, some time to get away. Looking for Cassandra. They do meet friends. Uh, you could have a few short role-playing encounters here. Uh, some of the NPCs do have some info. Others are just distractions, just like playing Baldur's Gate for me. Uh, make sure they have fun uh, or the group might ignore them, especially Lucas. He wants to get down to business. Uh, here's a couple of things again. A merchant could offer them one apple each. Uh, he says the local apples used to taste oh, uh, better in a pie before Cassandra started taking the pies. Uh 
So he thinks maybe that uh, Cassandra's hiding in the apple orchards. Uh, traveling priest says uh, sometimes uh, lower forest friends worship bigger ones uh, and that there's troglodytes nearby. Uh, they might know something about Cassandra. A woodcutter warns him that some of the uh, things around here are uh, not lucky. Once you enter, you get like a... Uh, oh, what, some of the animal burrows, you, they say, geez, you, you, like you don't want to go in there. They, they, Some of them are restrooms. Uh, and then an elderly farmer, it says, doesn't believe in Cassandra. He thinks it's just a, uh owl uh, that steals spies or Yogi Bear. And no one mentioned that except for this. Uh, the kid said, who's Yogi Bear? And the person said, Google it. Uh, then... Okay, once the players get bored, time to move on. Okay, now we're into the troglodyte dens. Uh, uh, have uh, someone do a DC-12 ability check uh, if they're searching. Uh, you want intelligence and wisdom if they're searching for the Cassandra's tracks uh, or another skill. If uh, everything checks out, then they find the entrance to the burrow. Use a map to describe what they see. Let them pick in what order they go in. And when they reach a number area, see the area's description. Uh, if they, they don't have a skill check, uh, they still arrive, uh, but they do so uh, when eight troglodytes show up. And then they have to deal with that situation with a dance-off. Okay, everyone, the start of the burrow. A successful DC check reveals a, a burrow recently visited by 25 uh, triglodytes, an owl, and uh, that's uh, Cassandra. Area two, empty. Nothing. But they lose all the footprints. Uh, area three, jack uh, in the box to someone left behind. Uh, it's empty. But in the hall is a jack-in-the-box, uh, which you, you, someone, a character might accidentally, you, you play the music and you spin that thing. Uh, and just, But not everybody in this party is familiar with it, so they would say, well, if the jack pops out of the box, uh, someone get a frighty-poo. So they have to do a DC-10 dexterity, or if you don't, 2D-6 uh and uh, you catch your plus two to catch your breath. Uh, those who succeed, uh, you only have to wait half as long to catch their breath. Uh, but you can't go through that hall. I don't know if I totally understand. Area four, uh, birthday party room. Uh, this is where the triglyphs have their birthday parties. There's uh, 200 GP in uh, gift cards. Uh, some stick-on gems and necklaces uh, worth, uh, you know, uh, unspecified pennies. Uh, there's also a secret door that connects to Area 6 that you need a DC-15 uh, ability check uh, using intelligence uh, uh, investigation or open using dexterity. Area 5 is a common chamber. This is where, uh, oh, this is the bedroom, uh, and there's 10 uh, triangulites sleeping in there. 
Uh, they get woken up and they go into Area 6 when they see the characters because they say, what are you doing? We, just, we were trying to sleep. Now we got to go get our coffee. Okay, Area 6 is a royal chamber. Uh, oh, this is where the lo- like leaders sleep. Uh, oh, they actually, and the Triglates have a fair and noble ru- ruler, a bit like Sir Tristan. And he speaks common. Uh, and if they're nice, you know, they, they could work together. If they're polite and they ask about Cassandra, he'll say Cassandra comes into the ro- woods, goes through the, the burrow, and then heads to a labyrinth. Uh, never travels the other way, though, a key piece of information. Area 6 is a false treasure room, just like the birthday room, but uh, after a party, and the characters do have to clean up. If they don't do a successful DC-10 investigation check, it's going to be a really messy room. And uh, it'll be so messy they have to go back to Area 5. Anyone in the hallway uh, then has to do another check. uh, Otherwise, they have to spend even more time cleaning up after this birthday party. Uh, area eight is uh, where uh, the the, bir- the what are those people called that supervise birthday parties that aren't parents? Uh, whatever the like, uh, what are they called when you you say, "Oh, I'm going to help out watching these kids out of chaperone room"? All chaperones are in here talking about seriously boring stuff. Uh, so if you get if you make too much, oh, you try to sneak through there. Uh, otherwise, they come in and they talk to you about math and even other stuff. Uh, area in nine is where the owl sleeps. Uh, don't wake up the owl because it'll say who over and over again. So you need to use dexterity uh, against an outroll its perception, which is 13. If failure means it wakes up and goes who, 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 and nobody wants to hear that. Ooh, area 18 is their pool, a uh, 10-foot deep pool of fresh water. Uh, but there is a frog, uh, and if you, uh, oh, okay, so it's one of those frogs that uh, doesn't realize there's no pee in the pool. So the first person who happens to put their foot in the water is going to be putting it in right next to the frog who's putting pee in the pool. And that's not good for anybody. Area 11 is a shrine. This is where Troglodytes worship their god, Key Largo, and they sing the song, Key Largo. Uh, there's a, a map of Key Largo. I guess it must have been something, which is a place, I think. Uh, and uh, uh, under the map is, uh, oh, d- b- fake gold doubloons. Uh, maybe they think in fake gems. Okay. Uh, the musty labyrinth. This looks like a normal labyrinth, uh, twisting, turning hallways. Uh, but guess what? There's no solution. I'll tell you right now. But we'll, I don't think uh, we would tell the characters this. Uh, totally random. Funny, because I'm reading the book, The Maze Runner, right now. And I didn't see the movie before or read the book. Uh, uh, so as soon as you try to turn back and retrace your steps, the past changes behind you. Uh, use the first few hallways shown on the map, uh, but when the characters move off the map, use the table below to find out where they go next. Uh, uh, if they turn around, the maze remains the same until they go around the corner, open the door, 
And from there on, it's just a random labyrinth. Okay, this one's special encounters. If you're going through uh, the, the, the musty labyrinth, uh, you could have some inter- interesting encounters. Uh, uh, roll on the following table. If you get the same result twice, re-roll or choose one. Uh, let's see. One is like painting on the wall. Two is yard sale. Uh, three, somebody stubs their toe. Uh, four, more troglodytes. Uh, five, a black light room. And six, a knight who got lost. Uh, okay, so that's pretty special. Like, uh, the one with the painting on the walls, uh, if you uh, go, roll that one, go into a hallway where somebody's there and they say, oh, thank goodness you're here to paint the walls. Uh, get to work. Uh, but you do can tell that... Uh, like a lot of the painting, what happened was that uh, uh, the, the, uh, you could see paw prints from last time they tried to paint it from the Cassandra. Okay, uh, what was the next room I said? I can't even remember. Uh, but if you go in there, uh, there's tons of, la- oh, it's a yard sale. So tons of people selling stuff. Uh, and most of it's incredibly boring. Yeah, but there is one you could roll for, which is like one collectible you've been looking for, uh, worth 3d20. Uh, Stub your toe. uh, Along here, there's one of the characters will stub their toe unless they do a DC-12 intelligence investigation to detect where you're going to stub your toe and then a DC-12 to get past it. Uh, Those, you know, anybody else gets this toe stub, uh... Troglodytes, uh, four of them are just hanging there, and they could talk. They immediately talk your ear off because they've been. This is like uh, they've been in the maze too. Uh, next one, I already forgot what it was. Well, black light room. Uh, even more like it's like one of those mazes, though, like with a mirror maze. Uh, so that'll take a while. And then, uh, and then the lost, the knight who's lost. Uh, okay, so you counter the the knight who's lost, uh, wearing a full suit of armor, who's been lost in there. Uh, at the long, end of a long hallway, he knows they're looking for the Cassandra, and he'll, he'll help them if he, they solve his riddles. Uh, if you try to run after him. Uh, like, uh, you have to go back to the randomness, uh, but you have to stop chasing. Oh, wait, I guess that maybe, uh, the first riddle is simple. Just catch him. Uh, the front is the, okay, so it's a, a riddle. I don't want to solve the riddles for you or tell, tell you them. Uh, uh, the characters, the second riddle. So the first one is just basically to catch him. It's a short version. Uh, second one, uh, is, uh, he says, can you find the missing piece to finish my collection? And basically you have to do that. Uh, he does, I guess, have a collectibles, which is interesting because you were just doing collectibles. So maybe that has it, uh, he's a bit of a, he's got a lot of stuff though. A lot of collectibles. Also a few pies, uh, a basket of laundry, uh, plate, uh, ton, t- t- 24 sculptures of crows. This is really in there. So you do have to uh, uh, figure it out. Uh, 
and uh, eventually you do that, and then the, if you do solve it, uh, he explains that you're already that uh, this uh, uh, musty may musty labyrinth is not in our world. Uh, it's in a oh demi plane. So not oh not only is there a, a demi gizmo, there's a demi plane, and that's the Cassandra's found a way to push through it to a place called the Upside Down, which is also a theme park. And he says there's only one way, you know, one way in, you got to find a different way out, just like the um, the dudes, the the troglodytes said. Okay, so they go into the Upside Down, which, uh, if you've seen other things, it's like this uh, a theme park where nothing works right or how you expect it. Similar to regular theme parks, but completely different. Uh, and... Uh, it's uh, even more fun, but, you know, it doesn't cost anything. That's one part of it. Uh, no waiting in lines. Uh, uh, only healthy food that the kids don't necessarily like. But lots of carrot sticks and stuff like that. Uh, uh, you don't have uh, no bedtimes, uh, so that's good. And... Uh, when it gets close to our world, it looks like our world. So trees and stuff like that, they just look a little bit different, you know, like neon paints. So the black light was getting us prepared for this. Okay, remember that uh, winner's kiss uh, is more useful uh, when you're in the upside down, plus four. Don't forget that. Okay, the upside down is, uh, this is just supposed to be fun, Uh so uh, ha- make sure to have extra fun. You know, make oh, well, we, uh, Mike says to design some rides for people to ride. Make sure they're similar to ours but different. Uh, so uh, he says, I don't even know what a roller coaster would be, but like a like a carousel would be upside down. You'd ride on the horses. You'd hold on to horses' legs. Uh, so that's just one example. He said that's a little bit obvious. Explore level, do some prep, uh, describe sections, you know, uh, make sure to have fun. He says, uh, then eventually the characters will find Cassandra's tracks, uh, but also other tracks. Uh, some tracks are, you know, all, the tracks are impossible to follow. Uh, they look back on themselves. None of it makes any sense. Uh, uh, then there's uh, the haughty. Uh, Henrietta, uh, suddenly appears on it. This, this is another stage, uh, appears, uh, strong, proud, uh, warrior, uh, princess who, uh, looks at the characters and is now worried about them. Uh, she, you don't want to mess with her. Uh, if they do, uh, like, uh, she shrugs it all off, uh, and she can always catch them. She's got a quest of her own, though. She won't talk about the details. She says, stay out of my way because I'm haughty and keep away. But then she says, here's how to find Cassandra. She sounds interesting. I'd like to go on her adventure. Uh, Cassandra uses the upside down uh, to get back to its house without being tracked. Uh, it's, uh, it's a place, it's, a, it's another borough where the magical plane and the upside down touch. Oh, material plane, so our world. Oh, a special plant goes there. A plant whose flowers bloom in both worlds. Uh, and these flowers can be used to cross between worlds if you perform a cert- certain ritual. 
which involves lips that have kissed uh, the just a forehead of a fuzzy friend. A uh, fuzzy friend, just like Cassandra. Uh, so it, it can, and actually, you can kiss your hand and then kiss your head. That's how Cassandra gets through the gateways. Uh, she says, go the, the, this way to catch the flowers. Uh, and if you want to open a gateway, you'll have to kiss kiss the forehead, like uh, the forehead of uh, Cassandra, who's walking around somewhere in there. And she says, it's a demi, a demi gizmo. And she says the demigizmo is uh, uh, all will come not if you call or whistle, uh, but if you sing a song joyfully. So uh, the easiest way to get it to come to you is just to sing joyfully and maybe do some dancing as you walk along. Uh, so one of the characters, and you have to actually do this, like when you're playing the game, uh, Mike says, yeah, so... A lot of people won't want to do it because uh, you have to actually physically walk around and sing and do a little dancing in front of everybody. Uh, if you do that, uh, and one d six minutes later, uh, the uh, the the uh, uh, you'll hear the the uh, Gizmo is snoring somewhere in in the darkness. Uh, if no one wants to dance or whistle, then you have to search for, without snoring for the demigizmo. You'd need to do try a DC 15 wisdom survival check. If this is successful, you'll find the demigizmo. If it fails, you try again. Uh, if it fails three times, uh, you have to run around. Everybody has to run around and dance and sing super fast uh, until they're all tired. And that's real, not in the game. Okay, Demi Gizmo is, uh, we kind of described it, but it's Gizmo, but kid size. Uh, so same size as Ted in that movie. Uh, it has flowers, its breath smells like flowers. Uh, currently lives there in the Upside Down. And, uh, oh, but bad news is it wants, it has been in our world. So it started thinking about charging for rides in the Upside Down. Uh and, uh, like, uh, it doesn't nece- it's not necessarily a good listener, so that's the biggest issue. Uh, so the haughty, haughty Harriet says you gotta really sing, uh, uh to get it in, to get the creature calm and close enough so you could kiss its, when it's, a, when it's, uh, rapport and kiss its forehead to open it up uh, so you can go back to your world. Uh, so that's going to take some try- time and problem solving by the team, uh, the party. Uh, and you obviously, hint to hint, you have that thing. So you don't just have to sing. You could use the thingamajig, uh, the, whatever the winner's kiss and whatever the other thing was. Uh, the magic bags. Uh, okay, after you kiss the forehead... Uh, and you, you, you win the rapport of, uh, the demigizmo, you could go into the cavern with the flowers, uh, and, uh, the one thing is when you get there, you got to get close to the flower and breathe in its smell, but it, it's so, it smells so good. Uh, you have to do a DC 12, uh, dexterity save roll 
or you'll be so overwhelmed to how good it smells, you got to sit down for uh, a while. And you'll get lost and go back to area one of uh, uh, the, uh, the Cassandra's burrow. Okay, so anyway, uh, I think, or maybe that's where, where you go. Uh, when they go through the flower, uh, they're back in our world, uh, pretty close to Sir Tristan's castle. And uh, you, uh, you can, they can even, oh, I don't know. It's clear that uh, there's tracks of Cassandra in the way, and they lead into a nearby burrow. Oh, I see. So you come out there. Uh, so area one is the entrance to burrow, and there's the flowers growing along the rocks and stuff. Uh, area two uh, has a black light painting on the ceiling, which is totally psychedelic, man. Uh uh, so you could lie there and look at those. There's a couple of people just in there chilling, looking at the ceiling. Uh, 20, 20 uh, area three is another, like this happens a lot in these games, like a hopscotch, uh, like it's a bridge. You have to hopscotch across. Otherwise, uh, you do it. Uh, you got a DC 12 strength and athletics to be able to do the proper hopscotch, uh, and uh, it means, uh, yeah. If you don't do it, you got to wait forever. Uh, nearby is a hidden room marked with an S. Uh, DC twelve wisdom perception check uh, to notice it. Once found, you could use the secret passage. Uh, area force ten troglodytes live there. They worship Cassandra. Uh, so they wonder if you have, like, they can hear Cassandra snoring. Uh, so you'd have to tell them that, you, like, you'll have to debate with them for a long time and wisdom rolls and stuff like that. Uh, area five at the back is, uh, oh, this is uh, Cassandra's bathroom, so you really don't want to be there. Uh, so try to, hopefully, characters avoid that and don't step in anything. Area six is where the troglodytes would leave presents for Cassandra. Uh, so it's all little niches in the walls, uh, which have little gifts uh, for Cassandra, which would be useful to win over, like, uh, snacks. Uh, it says, see conclusion below. Uh, oh, wait a second. So we haven't caught Cassandra? I thought we did. Oh, we only kissed Cassandra's thing. Okay, my bad. Maybe not, though. Maybe, but this is Area 7 is where Cassandra lives uh, and is asleep. Oh, so you just follow the snoring. Maybe they kissed it on her forehead, and then it got away, and then it went back to sleep. Uh, but you do want to kick, 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 sneak up. Uh, if, I guess it's maybe if you haven't caught uh, Cassandra yet. Uh, and basically, that's it. Like, if you're in this room, you ca- you got to ca- catch in, uh, Cassandra, but not just by... Catching Cassandra, you gotta uh, win Cassandra over, though you may have already done that. Scoots was right, of course, and the other one may be. If you do, now th- this depends on your rolling your dice and your own decisions. Uh, there's a couple options. One, if you totally like, uh, I think if you had some sort of animal throwing roll or something, then uh, you could be Cassandra could become Sir Tristan's pets. 
uh, you could win a lifetime supply of pies from the town. Uh, you could go back and get the rights from Sir Tristan to run the Upside Down as your own theme park and then charge tickets or not, uh, charge pies, whatever. Additionally, in Area 6 of Cassandra's thing, not only you find food for Cassandra, but art uh, and other fan things that people of Cassandra, Cassandra's fans made worth a 1,000 gold pieces. Uh, uh, plus, you could pick and give him a magic item if you want. And that's how that adventure ends. But, you know, to find out, like, to play it... Uh, yeah, to play it, you know, you could check out, uh, you could check it out, you know, you could, you could check out your local gaming store and then ask them, and if they don't have it, you know, ask them to order it for you, uh, so you give them your local money. Uh, but yeah, it's Otter Things, a famous Netflix show, and then yeah, one day, I guess it would be on Dis- whatever the Disney one is, because I think they own Emmett Otter's rights, maybe. You know, one day you'll be hearing from me complaining that uh, they made Otter Things, O-T-T-E-R, things without my without me and i'll be sad but you know then i'll get over it and i'll say uh, you know what scoots what would they say they'd say scoots ain't no hole in the wash tub man you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and uh you know go see the river bottom fun time band so that's it uh here's some thank yous and good nights good nights all right uh, everybody welcome to a, a like an actual board game unboxing we do these uh, from time to time so far, no one's sent me a board game. I think one person, one company inquired one time uh, to, like, actually have us talk about a specific game. And then I said, well, you probably, if you're going to choose that, then you probably have to pay me. Uh, and uh, so then, so I still just buy my own games, uh, just so everybody knows. And I usually buy them when they're on sale. And I buy them to play with either Antonio Banderas or my daughter. Now, so this game, I've, I've played a version of it. Um, Actually, I've never played the board game version of it. So this is one where I'm going, have we done this before? Where I've gone uh, from the um, modern era back to the board game era, which I think the board board games are still a modern era thing, at least to me. Uh, so maybe I'll talk about this, but just for anybody who's re- never heard one of these episodes. So I'll talk about a board game and then I'll unbox it. I took the wrapping off, but I have not, like I literally have it in my hands uh and it's a really nice box. Uh, it, the the art is not exactly like uh, totally bringing me into the game, uh, but it, and it's heavy and it's a heavy duty box. So those are all good signs. And it's not really a playful game anyway. So that's why the art is a little bit more not real to life. But so the name of the game. Well, it says Alan R. Moon. This is, so I'm looking at the cover of the game. I'll do the top cover of the box, and then I'll talk about the top cover. Then I'll talk about the history, with my history with the game, and then uh, flip it over, look at the back, open the box, and go from there. Uh, so the name of the game, or the cover of the game, it says Alan R. Moon, and that's in some cursive gold writing. Ticket to Ride which is in uh, multiple fonts, uh, like in a fun, like a Ticket to Ride theme park type font and red lettering, but with behind it, uh, I don't know what that's called, but uh, multiple colors. And then it says New York, and the NEW of New York is an American flag, and the York, uh, Y-O-R-K, it's all cursive. 
the Y-R-O-R-K is also kind of like an out-of-focus rest of the flag, I think. So Ticket to Ride New York is the name of the game. It's made by Days of Wonder. And then on the front cover is like a cityscape of New York, uh, looking down a street with the elevated train. I'm guessing, because I'm not good at guessing errors, that it's like 1950s. That's only because one of the people looks like a... Uh, what's his name from Greece or Fonzie from Happy Days, both of which are pop culture icons that I know not everybody knows. Uh, and then there's uh, three other characters standing in the foreground. Everyone's, well, three of the four characters are holding a ticket. Uh, and then there's a business person who has a ticket in their front pocket. Then there's also a cab driver pulling up, waving at us. So there's five uh, humans, I guess we we could call them, that we can see their faces. They're all smiling. Actually, the business person's not smiling. They have uh, they're looking. They look like they're about to explain something. Uh, the cab's license plate reads Dow two one eight. It's so. Oh, I'm saying it's like it looks like it's the 1950s, maybe. Could be anywhere from the 1950s to the 1970s. That's how good. Uh, I can almost read the bus, but I can't quite. Uh, St. John's, it maybe says. Uh, and it's actually not a, maybe it's not a bus. Maybe it's an electric streetcar. And there's the subway. We could see the Chrysler building and the, I think just the tower of the Empire State Building. And so that's pretty much the cover of the game. And let's see, what, what, should, what do we need to know? Oh, so Ticket to Ride. Now, some of you are saying Ticket to Ride, oh boy, Scoots, that's a classic. And, uh, because, like, I don't know where this game is most popular. I would assume it's not the U.S., but it, maybe it is the U.S. Uh, because in a, in on the Internet, I've encountered people that play Ticket to Ride, but I've never encountered it in someone's home or just in my small circle. I'm not, I don't, I'm not friends with a ton of board gamers, uh, yeah, but I haven't been anywhere where someone's like, let's play, let's sit down and play Ticket to Ride. But people do. Now, my experience with Ticket to Ride, and I'll try to keep this meander tight, but, you know, you never know. So I have a lot of experience with Ticket to Ride on the on the iPad or the iPhone. And 99.9% of it is very positive, uh, Except for the fact that uh, they change they change something around uh, or something, but but uh, I think I was like uh, so okay. So there's a game called Ticket to Ride. Let me explain that. Yeah, let's do that. It's a board game, and then ideally an iPad based board game, which actually makes it a lot easier to play. I mean, I've never played the board game version. Because there's no setting up or organizing of the pieces or the scoring is all automated. And I don't have the verbiage of the actual game in front of me. So this is all off of my memories. But but I do play it on the regular until they made a change to the app. And also, like, uh, kind of, well, also as my phone got so old, I, old too. But I would say, like, if you're thinking, Scoots, I'm looking for a new game well, I guess I don't have the m- most newest version of the app, so I can't endorse it. But I will say that I like it is an unbelievably good board game to play, to do pass and play, 
with two or three people. And I'll give you the contextual parts of that coming up here. Uh, so, so we have that. So basically the, the, the game, my familiarity with Ticket to Ride was I heard about it probably on Lifehacker or somewhere. It was like, oh, okay, this is of all the great board games, you know, uh, after uh, Catan and uh, Carcassonne or whatever, you know, the big the big dogs, which, of course, uh, my familiarity with and those wasn't great either. But the, the Ticket to Ride is usually up there, and they had uh, not the top, top of the top. I mean, no offense to the game, uh, but up there. And then I think it's a little bit more age accessible because my daughter and I have been playing it uh, for at least, I'd say, six years maybe. Podcast, oh, probably maybe even seven or eight years, uh, but I, I could be again. I could be told all of this could be wrong. So, okay, so oh, what's the game? Yeah, you're right. We should talk. So the game of Ticket to Ride is Ticket to Ride a train. It is uh, it's not really about riding the trains though. The edition I play is a continental U.S. edition, and I think I tried to buy again. I had some issues with the app and. Uh, I may have tried to get a European edition or another edition because uh, there's other maps and other add-on versions of the game, which would be very cool uh, and make it more fun. And I've heard that some of the other editions are cool because they have tunnels and things like that, but I haven't played that. So one day, I don't know why what I'm waiting for. I mean, I guess because I have Carcassonne on, on my phone, and my daughter and I have been playing that uh, on and off uh, when we have to wait for something in a line particularly, and uh, we still haven't even figured, we've played, probably played like 85 games of it, and we still haven't figured out exactly how to, like, like how, how to actually win, uh, like, the scoring. But Ticket to Ride's much easier to figure out. So basically, you're trying to, you're trying to be like a train tycoon and build train lines across the continental U.S., and you get certain cards. There's different, I don't know, I guess it, maybe the rules will come out in this in a little version, but basically you're trying to connect uh, cities. So you'd get a, you'd get a couple of cards. This is like unboxing the game in my mind, but you get a couple of cards that are like routes. So let's say you want to, uh, you get a route like to connect New York to Miami. Now that's pretty far, and you probably have to, you'll have to stop in some cities on the way. And then you have train cards that are in a variety of colors, and you want to have you have to have matching colors that match the. You're trying to match colors and collect cards, and then c- connect those two cities. And, and there's a variety of ways to do that. But if your card is to connect New York to Miami, you need to find a way to control a route between New York and Miami. I guess so you could sell tickets on it. Uh, and then there's other ways to add on points with like the long, longest route, and you're trying to, you know, obviously get more routes and you get points for other stuff. So that's basically not the rules, but a general idea. But this game, so on the phone, I don't know if they, have, they like, because again, I, I I bought like an early version of the app. I think I bought this was before before freemium. I, I think. So I can't even be sure if I bought an early version of the app or like if they went to like a freemium model or they had a paid like 99 cent version or they just went with a premium model because this is a premium game. Even on the iPad, like if I had a fully functioning version, 
with other maps, like I have to say, I would like I've paid uh, somewhere between ten and twenty dollars. It, it's worth it. Uh, also, you know, World of Wonder, send your checks over here, or whatever the heck your company's name is. It's probably say, well, well, actually, the app rights are controlled by you know Laser Beam Enterprises. Okay, so but this game is so good. Like it's it's beautiful on the iPad and a little bit easier to read and stuff. But it's a really good pass and play game. The only criticism I would have is that there's no timer, and I tend to play, try to play like really fast, uh, and I'm not that patient. So then when I pass it to somebody else, like they can, sometimes they take their time calculating everything. But because it's like a kind of a strategy game, but once you get down the basic rules, uh, it's more about like it, it, there's not like a brute force way to win. Like it's always about like taking risks, and there's a randomness that kind of evens levels the playing field. And then if you're taking on more risk, like holding out for certain cards or trying to connect really distant routes uh, in order to win, um. That uh, it kind of is good to play with a kid that's like six years, six, seven years old up to like uh, other adults or a mix of those. And because it's pass and play, especially if like a few people are waiting in line, you can kind of pass it between the people waiting in line. Now, we would always play also with computer competitors, which are not always the most intelligent, but I feel like it just adds an extra challenge. Also, because there's like a slight, uh, like a competitiveness to it. Like usually you're competing more against the randomness. Like if you're only playing with the people you're passing and playing with, it could be like the, the V I N D E C T, you know, that word, like where the competitiveness, it could manifest itself in like taking like a property or something like a monopolization. Like you say, well, I'm just going to get that property so you can't have it. And I found having a full game, like, so if two or, th- two or three people are playing, like, having the rest of the uh, uh, roles filled by AI or whatever of differing skills or whatever or, or uh, chaos- chaosness, uh, it makes it better because it's like other people don't try to watch what you're doing and then say, well, if I just block that, you know, then that person will be SOL. But it really is a fun game, and it really helps pass the time. Like, especially if you're waiting in line at a theme park, as opposed to those friggin' uh, games that kids like where you got to embarrass yourself or do charades. Uh, like, this one is just much more focused, like, scoots. Like, let's just focus, uh, let's not draw attention to ourselves, but let's calculate. Uh, I don't know. I really do find it a very enjoyable game. And especially when the com- competition is robust, uh, but like, I, I really find it. And because of randomness, uh, you could be constantly frustrated. So it kind of kind of feels like, and again, there's like a ticking clock, but it's more based on number of cards or something or number of train cars you used. So then, I don't know. I, so it's a really good game. That's my thing. So then I saw this game on sale, which I hadn't heard of it. This is a two-player fast version of it. Uh, and we'll just go on the back. Oh, okay. okay yeah, we'll just go on the back. uh to read it because this is first supposed to be for promotion anyway. So it says again, Alan R. Moon, a Ticket to Ride New York, uh, introducing a New York Ticket to Ride State of Mind. 
Oh, and here's the air. Welcome to the 60s. Admire the stunning view from the Empire State Building, the world's tallest skyscraper. Or take a walk through the magnificent Central Park. Uh, go from Times Square to Brooklyn to do some sightseeing and enjoy. So that's like the marketing. Then the specific speak uh, is in, that was in uh, script. This is in type. Uh, in this fast-paced tick-to-ride game, so fast-paced, the other one is slow, players race one another through the busy streets of New York City to visit the most prestigious tourist attractions and complete their destination tickets. Uh, this elegantly simple uh, ticket-to-ride gameplay appeals to both beginners and seasoned players. Uh, learn the game in three minutes, play it for hours, uh, exclamation point. It has a like a website uh, ticket number two ride to game dot com, and it cont contains uh, one board game, one board map of New York transportation network, sixty plastic taxis, fifteen in each color, forty four transportation cards, uh, eighteen destination ticket cards, one rule leaflet, uh, one score pad, one pencil. And it, uh, two to four players, you got to be eight plus, sorry, little kids, uh, 10 to 15 minutes per game, uh, no zero three, no, low, no little kids. It has, uh, a days of wonder Europe, uh, uh, and then days of wonder the U S, uh, 2004 to 2018. So I could have played it as long. Yeah. We could have played it a while ago, uh. And that's about it. And then it has some beautiful pictures of the cards and stuff like that. Uh, so that is the back of the game. And it's a square box. So I'll open it up now off of Mike and then get back to you. Okay, so the first thing is like the, um, is this a rules book? Oh, it's the rules book is made to look like a brochure. So I think that's cool. And it has, it says, welcome to the Big Apple. New York City, introducing famous originals. So some internal New York jokes there. And it has a, like a watercolor in the background of Central Park and maybe Central Park West, a couple buildings. And then opening it up, uh, we won't read through the rules, but uh, enjoy your visit going from Central Park to the Empire State Building and from Times Square to Brooklyn. Yeah, it has, yeah, everything that's included the setup, which you set to place a board game map in the center of the table. Each player takes a set of plastic-colored taxis. Shuffle the transportation cards. Deal a starting hand of two cards to each player. And then place the deck near the board. Flip the top five cards from the deck face-up. If by doing so, three of the five face-up cards are taxi cards, immediately discard all five cards and flip five new cards uh, face up to replace them. So this is like the game where you could either draw from the flipped cards or a random card. And that's kind of thrilling because there is a wild card. Uh, uh, then you shuffle the destination tickets and deal two cards. So you start off with two destinations, two cards each player. Oh no, each player must look at their de destination ticket cards and decides which one they wish to keep. You may keep one or both, uh, if you choose to keep only one, the returned card is placed on the bottom of the destination ticket deck, uh, and then this place uh, next to the board. 
And you have to keep your destination tickets secret till the end of the game. Uh, yeah, again, in the box, it has everything. Well, this will be good. Uh, I don't want to go. Well, we could go through all the rules. This is good. Uh, I'll try to paraphrase. Uh, so the object of the game is to score the most points, of course. And you score points by claiming a route between two adjacent locations, successfully completing a continuous path of loops, uh, routes between two locations on your destination tickets, and by connecting uh, tourist attractions. Uh, you also lose points for each of the destination ticket cards you do not complete by the end of the game. So that's like the risk or reward if you're trying to really win. Okay, get the game turn. Youngest player goes first. Uh, you go clockwise, uh, and you take turns till the game ends. On your turn, you can only do one and only one of the following three actions. Draw a transportation card. Uh, claim a route or draw destination tickets, uh, which is the same in the main game. Okay, so draw transportation cards. Transportation cards match the route colors on the board. There's blue, green, uh, black, pink, and red, and orange. Uh, except for taxi cards, which are wild cards, multicolored, and they can replace any card when you're claiming a route. Uh, you can have any number of transportation cards in your hand at any time, but you can only draw them, obviously, one at a time. Uh, this action allows you to draw... Oh, wait. Oh, you get to draw two transportation cards. You can take the top card from the deck, a blind draw, or you could take any one of uh, the five face-up cards. In this case, immediately replace it with the top card on the deck. Uh as an exception, if you take a face-up taxi card as your first card, you can't take another card on your turn. You cannot take a face-up taxi card on your second turn, either. Second card either. That's good clarity. Thank you, whoever wrote these instructions, because these would be arguing points. So do you understand you could take a taxi card, but because it's a wild card, you can only take one. And here's just a pro tip that I've learned uh, is as you're like looking at the, so there'll be five cards face up that you could choose from, or you could choose to draw blind from the face down card. And I, I, I usually, this is like your first risk reward decision because there is like a whatever one in seven chance that uh, the face down card uh, could be a wild card or one of the colors you need. So it's kind of about like, oh, it, are any of the colors you need face up or. If you do, or are there two face-up colors you could take uh, to start accumulating cards of one color? So, is there a color you need? Yes or no? If it's no, if it's yes, you probably take that color, and then on your second turn, uh, d decide. You know, decide. Well, the same thing. If on your first turn it's no, there are no colors you need. Then ask. Okay, are there two cards of the same color? Because then you could consecutively draw, like, two red cards, for example. This is just Scoot's strategy coming at you for free. Uh, so do you could do that, or you could draw uh, from the face-down deck and then hope you get the color you need. So, or, if there isn't, either or, if there are two car color cards, or two cards of matching colors, or there are not, you could draw, you could draw from the deck, uh, 
and then hope you either get a wild card or a color you need or a color that's in the face down deck uh, on your first turn. And you could also just uh, say scoots like every time you do that and it doesn't work out because like majority of the time it's not going to work out. Uh, so really what I try to do in the early phases, I'll talk more about some of my strategy for the main game. It could be different for this game. And my strategy is a high, high risk, uh, especially at the beginning and then at the end. In the middle phases of the game, it's like an accumulation phase. Uh, and like I guess my gameplay is four stages. Uh, so first, uh, well, let's just uh, let, let's just say okay. So so I guess I'm, I'm uh, it got mixed up. But, but so when you're drawing, those are some ideas of how to draw cards. And I always look at it, uh, am I trying to accumulate cards or am I trying to take a risk? Uh, like, so if it's really early, you could kind of take a risk to try to build up some wild cards and, uh, like, a healthy amount of uh, things. Now, we'll talk about the destinations in a minute. Uh, as an exception, if at any time three of the face-up cards are taxis, immediately discard all five cards and flip five new cards from the deck uh, face-up to replace them. So that happens automatically, and uh, so I always wondered what triggered that. So that's interesting. Uh, when the deck is empty, shuffle the discarded cards to create a new transportation card deck. Okay, claim a route. A route is a set of spaces of the same color on the board that links two adjacent locations. And I'll talk about that when we open up the map. Uh, some locations are connected by double routes, so two routes of the same length connecting the same locations. A single player cannot claim both roots of a double route, okay? Uh, no, no. in two-player uh, games, once a root of a double route is claimed, oh, wow, it's locked down and cannot be claimed by the other player. So that's going to cause trouble for me and Sophia probably. To claim a route, you must discard a number of cards from your hand equal to the number of spaces of the route uh, and place a plastic taxi on each of those spaces. Uh, most routes require a specific set of cards. For example, a blue route must be claimed by discarding blue transportation cards. If there are gray routes, though. Those can be claimed with any set of cards of one color. You can claim any open route on the board, even if it is not connected to a route you have previously claimed. But you cannot claim more than one route per turn. If you don't have enough plastic taxis left to place one on each space, you can't claim that route. You can claim a route that is three places wrong. Look, then you can also use wild cards, right? Uh, so they try to show some examples. Okay, this destination and ticket cards. So each destination card shows two locations and a point value. At the end of the game, you score the point value of each destination card you've completed. To complete a destination, you have to connect the two locations listed on the card by creating a continuous path of routes you've claimed. And now I'll tell you that it could be as meandering or uh, like, a, and this is another pro tip on Ticket to Ride, like you could go like from New York to Toronto to like Cleveland to Chicago and then down through Texas and then over to Florida, 
like in a giant uh, sea. And then still, like if you had like New York to Miami and New York to Chicago and to Toronto to lot like Louisiana. That's one thing I like to do just because it's clean and sometimes it doesn't always win the longest route. Uh, but I tell myself it's efficient. It just brings me some joy, like some kind of level joy too, of like uh, order. But I am decent at the game. I mean, when I'm playing against an eight-year-old in like AI, limited AI computers. Uh, okay, so connected destinations. This action allows you to draw more. Oh, you can have any number of destination ticket cards. So if you take this action for your turn, you can draw more destination ticket cards. To do so, take two cards from the top of the destination ticket stack. Now, you have to keep one of these cards, uh, and you can keep both of them. And any return cards are placed on the bottom of the deck. You cannot discard a destination ticket once you have chosen to keep it. If there is only one destination ticket card left in the deck, you can still uh, do this action, but you must keep the card. Uh, destination cards uh, and their completion must be kept, even their completion must be kept secret from other players at the end of the game. So here's my one-time strategy. I don't always do this, but, uh, like, I might take my, so I'll see what destination cards I got to start the game. And then I can may take my first two or three turns uh, drawing more destination ticket cards to see if I get lucky. And what I mean for, by that is like destinations that are overlapping. So say you did have uh, New York to Miami, and then you then on your next turn you draw destination cards, and you happen to get like Toronto uh, to Atlanta, and then on the next turn you happen to get. Uh, New York uh, to uh, St. Louis or something. Those are all tickets in the same general direction, so then you can really pile up some points. So that's the reward. The risk is that you could also get really unlucky, and then you have, like, New York to Miami, which is a pretty long route, and then say, say I also have, like, New York to Los Angeles. Then I might not draw ticket cards because it's like, okay, that's going to be tough. But say you just had a short route, like New York to Boston. So then on the next one, if you draw New York to Los Angeles, you're going to be, that's going to be tough. Or you draw like Los Angeles uh, to Salt Lake City or something. You say, well, those aren't even anywhere near each other. So it's just just deciding your risk tolerance and stuff. Game end and final scoring when a player has two or fewer plastic taxis left in their supply, each player. Uh, including that player, gets one last turn. Uh, then the game ends and players calculate the final, final scores. First, each player scores points for the routes they claimed during the game based on the route scoring table printed on the board. Uh, then each player reveals their destination ticket cards, reveal, uh, adds the value of each card they completed, subtracts the value of the ones they failed to complete. So there's your risk again. And finally, each player scores one point for each tourist attraction that is connected to one or more of the routes they claimed. Player with the one po most points win. In the case of a tie, the player who completed the most destination ticket cards wins. If players are still tied, then they share victory. Uh, then there's an ad. If you enjoyed your visit to Big Apple, how about traveling across the whole United States from New York to the Midwest Great Plains and the Rocky Mountains to the California coast? A Ticket to Ride, which is a game I've mostly been taking, talking about, is designed for two to five players. It uh, features a giant board 
of the Raoul Network in North America at the dawn of the 20th century. And then the credits. The game design is by Alan R. Moon. Illustrations are by Julian Delval. Uh, graphic design is by Serial Daljan. Uh, special thanks from Alan and DOW. Uh, to all those who play tested the game, Janet Moon, Bobby West, Martha, Ian, Michelle, Scott, Aiden, Adrian, Lydia, Alicia, Jonathan, Casey, Emily, Lawson, and Ryan. So that's the instruction. So let me get out the board next. Okay, I just noted the, the scorecard is very small. It's cute, uh, but it's very small, the size of a business card. So for keeping score, that's uh, funny. Okay, so I'm opening the board, and it's... Uh, so it's lower Manhattan. It goes from like goes from mid like uh, it goes from uh, Lincoln Center down to Brooklyn. That's the only borough. So let's see. It has a funny fun grape soda. Like it has some cute uh, designs on there. So it has a fake cat soda cap on there. Uh, it has a New York City the brochure. It has a ticket to a magic shop or a magic show from 1925. Uh, another theater show, Showtime, uh, Orchestra, February 11th, 1961. Has a key to room 1209 at the Wonders Hotel. Uh, then let's see down here. It looks like it has a transportation, it has a couple different transportation tickets, and then it has the scoring thing. So one tax equals one point. For a route, uh, two taxis equal two points, uh, three taxis equal four points, and four taxi routes equal seven points. So you can see how they multiply in like longer routes or uh, more. Okay, so some of the ones, uh, okay, so this is something I don't understand. Some of them have circles with pennies, which I assume means they're a uh, tourist attraction, maybe. Uh, but there's a Lincoln Center that has a red circle. That's the furthest uh, west, uh, northwest. Uh, then in the middle is Central Park. Uh, then uh, south of Lincoln Center is Midtown West. Uh, then a little southeast of Midtown West is Chelsea. Uh, then uh, south uh, of Chelsea is Soho. And then to the southernmost point of the island is Wall Street, uh, uh, then heading south from Central Park is Times Square. Then a little southeast is the Empire State Building. A little bit more southeast, uh, or due east is from Times Square is United Nations. Uh, southeast from Empire State Building is Gramercy Park. Uh, then a little southwest of that is the Vill Greenwich Village. Uh, then east of that is East Village. Uh, south of the East Village is the Lower East Side. Uh, west, a little southwest, is Chinatown, and then south of Chinatown is uh, Wall Street, and then on the southeast of the map is Brooklyn. So those are all the things. I just don't know what the pennies mean with a circle. So it has a number one. So Central Park, I would assume those are tourist attractions. Uh, Times Square, United Nations, Empire State Building, Chelsea, Greenwich Village, Chinatown, Wall Street, and Brooklyn all have uh, uh, pennies with circles. So let me just uh, bounce back and see if I could uh, figure out what that means. Uh, 
So I'm back opening up the um, uh, claim a root, uh, two roots, uh, most roots, uh, specific sets of cards, draws transportation cards, uh, connecting tourist attractions. Oh, here it is. Finally, each, oh, yeah, it is the penny. One point, it means one point. Uh, each score, player scores the tourist attractions uh, connected to one or more of the routes. So it just has to be connected to your route. Okay, so it looks like it comes with uh, four colors of taxis, white, purple, a teal, and a yellow. But what's impressive, and they all have their own bags, but then also what's impressive is it looks like it comes with two extra taxis of each color in case you lose them, maybe. Uh, so that's interesting. So I have, um, okay, so I have the destination cards and the taxi cards in my hand. So the, the, um, the unexposed side of the taxi cards is like a New York skyline with the New York in, uh, cursive with the uh, USA flag. And so we have the taxi, uh, oh yeah, good question. How many taxis are there? We'll count them. So the taxi's very seventies, uh. Like in the background with the multicolors and bubbles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight taxis. The next one is pink. It's a pink uh, kind of a double decker Greyhound style bus. So that's pretty cool and very 70s too. Let's see if there's seven of those. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six or seven. Then blue is a subway car. Uh, let me just count those. One, two, three, four, five, six, six maybe. Uh, then the next one is green. It's a city bus, like a 70s, 60s city bus uh, with some green. And probably the same amount, six or seven of those. Uh, then gray is a little bit rougher. Like, so maybe the um, blue is an elevated train and then... Uh, I, mean, I guess the silver is the elevated train. A little bit rougher silver subway car in a black, or the car is either black or silver or gray. Then um, the red is like a electrified uh, city bus, uh, kind of like we see in San Francisco, but a little bit more of a 70s. And then there's orange, which is your school bus. Uh, so that's pretty fun. Uh, I like that. That makes it a fun part of the game. And then we have the destination cards, which I'll count out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So eighteen divided by four. I think it's 4.5. So that's interesting when you play with four players because that'll definitely keep it like, uh, keep it interesting. Now, the back side of the card, it says City of New York, Board of Transportation, New York Transit System, uh, valid for 20 cents, one fare. It also has like what looks like a subway token and a couple transit tickets on there. Uh, so a little evocative. And then look, so look at the possible destinations. Uh, and we'll think strategy. So the first one I see is Times Square to Soho, um, which is worth six points. And then there's also Times Square to East Village. So this is what I'm talking about. These haven't been shuffled. That's four points. And then there's Times Square to Brooklyn. 
So maybe I'll shuffle these later and just see. Then we have a, a smaller route. Uh, we're at two points, the Lower East Side to Wall Street. Uh, then a six-point route, Chelsea to Wall Street. Then an eight-point route, U- United Nations to Wall Street. So I'm already seeing some opportunities for some big points. Uh, then Central Park to Midtown West is three points. Uh, Central Park to Gramercy Park is four points. Uh, Central Park to Chinatown is eight points. Uh, Central Park to Chelsea is five. Uh, then you have Lincoln Center to Empire State Building is three. Uh, Lincoln Center or Empire State Building to Greenwich Village is three. Empire State Building to Brooklyn is seven. Chelsea to Brooklyn is eight. Uh, the UN to Midtown West is three. Gramercy Park to Chinatown, four. East Village to Soho is four. And Lincoln Center to Greenwich Village is, is six. Okay, so let's do a little strategy session here. I'm going to open the board up again. And then we'll just practice, like, if I was playing a game, like, the, if we, let's just practice if in the first two or three turns after drawing, we won't do any gameplay, but just strategy of the destination cards. So on the first, so I tried to shuffle the cards. Let me do, like, one more deck switch or cut the cards. So let's just pretend on my first, uh, on the setup of the game, I got two transportation cards. So I'm looking at them. And I got United Nations to Midtown West. So United Nations is in the upper east side of the board. And Midtown West is right across town, west. It's only worth three points. Uh, but it's also like they're gray. So it's there's only one route to Times Square that's gray. And then there's a, a single gray route uh, to connect to Times Square to Midtown West. Also, United Nations, this is an extra thing to think about for me, is like the United Nations and Times Square are uh, tourist attractions, so that's an extra two points, I think, or maybe three points, uh, depending on scoring. So I would probably, so that one is like a, not a bad route, because uh, like we'd have to think about it. Now, the next one I got is Chelsea to Brooklyn. Now, that's an eight-pointer. Now, here's the good news. Chelsea is only two routes south of Midtown West. Uh, so I would probably end up keeping both of these because then I could try to connect uh, Chelsea to Brooklyn and then Chelsea to Midtown West and the United Nations and then hope on our next two turns we get something that is in that area. So if this was my first beginning, I would just keep both these destination cards and then let's pretend this is the first round. I'm going to take more destination cards. Most people are going to be actually doing things. And let's see how we did. So on our first round, or so what do we have here? We have, I got Central Park to Gramercy Park. Uh, so this isn't perfect, but it's not a disaster. And then, so Central Park is in the, the furthest north, and Gramercy Park is, that's a four-pointer. And Gramercy Park is, uh, it's kind of in the mid-east of the map. So that's four points. So it's like, okay. I mean, I've never played this game before, but now I'm saying, okay, could I use that still? Well, yeah, I could go Central Park to United Nations 
uh, to Gramercy Park. That's a pretty nice route. And then maybe connect Gramercy Park to Chelsea somehow. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, and then keep working my way towards Brooklyn. So I definitely would keep that card too. Then the next one I got is Empire State Building to Greenwich Village. Now everything, I, I would keep this one too because Greenwich Village is on the way to Brooklyn from Chelsea. And the Empire State Building is kind of in between, is in the middle of the map. So now I have four cards. I probably would stop at this point uh, just because I say, well, I got to get from Chelsea to Brooklyn. That's a pretty big di- di- distance. All the ro- other routes are kind of short. Uh, and they're kind of near each other, though they're not interconnected. But let's just say, okay, well, I'm feeling like my competition's strong here. And if I take the next round, I, you know, I could take two cards I could see, and then I only have to keep one. So it's still early in the game, and then I just won't worry about Then the rest of the game I'll play straight through. Because another thing I would do is do this and then see how fast I could complete all those routes. And then if it's like if I'm looking like I'm, it's a high chance I'm going to complete it all, which I would do by locking down any like single routes I definitely need. And then working my way out uh, and trying to keep it one just as efficient as I can. Then I would probably start to take another destination card if it looks like the game's going to go on. But if I had a ton of destination cards, then I'm just going to play the game out probably. So let's take the high-risk move here and take two more cards. And oh boy, I think we got very lucky. Because the two ones we got were Gramercy Park to Chinatown... And we already have to get Gramercy Park in. That's Well, that's only four, though. So, hmm. Gramercy Park to Chinatown. Uh, but Chinatown's on the way to Brooklyn. Now, we didn't have Chinatown, but we did have Gramercy Park. And we already have a S- Central Park, right? Because uh, the other card is an eight-pointer, Central Park to Chinatown. And we already have to, like, so we might as well just keep both these cards. So then now we're like, this is going to be a risky game now uh, because we have, now I'd start to order my cards. So we have Chelsea to Brooklyn on the bottom. So we have Central Park to, this is where having a computer is a little bit easier, but you just start to organize your cards. You say, okay, United Nations to Midtown West, uh, Central Park. We have to link that. But if we're only linking the small steps, uh, okay, Gramercy Park to Chinatown, and that'll go with Chelsea to Brooklyn. We don't really have to worry about uh, Central Park to Chinatown because that's going to be connected as long as we're doing our job. So we got to start to look at our weak points. Do we have United Nations in there? We do. And Midtown West. So that could, Midtown West could be our problem area. So the first thing we want to do is probably connect Chinatown or Central Park to United Nations. Like Brooklyn looks pretty good. There's a lot of routes to Brooklyn. Three ways to get to Brooklyn, all of which are near Chinatown. Uh, Greenwich Village to Chelsea there's a, is robust. Uh, so I think our biggest risk right now is uh well okay so i do have a strategy so we would get so what's our first priority business is connecting central park to the united nations then do we have we do we don't have Times square right you're right so we just have uh then we would try to look at ideally connect uh 
the United Nations Empire State Building. That's a two black. Central Park to uh, um, United Nations is a three pink. So those would be on my critical watch list to say, okay, we need pink and black trains. Then we want to connect to probably the Empire State Building to Midtown West or to Chelsea uh, to finish out those routes. But it'd be great. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, so then we say, okay, if I could connect the Empire State Building to Midtown West, that's a two green. It, then I almost don't have, then I, like, I, I don't almost, like, Chelsea's pretty safe. Uh, so then we'd have the top half of the map locked up. We'd get three pink, two black, two green. And we'd have, like, our top part of the map locked up. And then we know we have to get, uh, Gramercy Park we have to get to, which is another option with that. Uh, we have to get Chelsea in there and Greenwich Village. So I'd probably look at trying to connect Chelsea to Gramercy Park. Uh, like, I'd just go with whatever, because whatever, we could connect to Midtown West or the Empire State Building or the United Nations. There is a two orange between Chelsea and Gramercy Park, uh, but there's also ways to connect it to the Empire State Building. So that's pretty good. And once we have connect, like either, well, we have to connect some part of our monster route to either Chelsea or Gramsci Park, right? So either way, if we connect one of those and it's interconnected to our whole route, then all we have to do is connect either Chelsea or Gramercy Park to, to, to uh, Greenwich Village. And we don't have the East Village, right? So we don't have to worry about that, Uh Oh, boy. So then we're in pretty much, I mean, I don't want to start bragging, uh, but once we get uh, a Greenwich Village attached to, uh, is that really it? Wow. Yeah, we would be, I don't know how many trains you get. So we could be like in trouble for that. So I might have taken too many cards for that. But then we really are in a dominant position because basically all we have to do is connect a Greenwich Village uh, to Chinatown in Brooklyn. And we could do that if we need to by indirect means uh, because lower Manhattan is very busy. Uh, like we could use, uh, we could go like a long route from Chelsea to Soho. We could go from Greenwich Village to Soho. We could go straight to Chinatown. We could go from Brooklyn to Wall Street to Chinatown. We could go from Brooklyn to Wall Street to Soho to Greenwich Village to Chinatown if we if we needed to, though, I bet you those options would be more limited. We could go to the East Village and the Lower East Side. So yeah, I wouldn't feel terrible about that. I mean, this would be a high. We would probably win the game, uh, but we would have to get kind of lucky. And some of our card draws, we'd have to be very efficient in card counting, as far as like, okay, how many cards do other people have left, how many taxis are left, and putting down trains. Uh, like as we get them, but locking down routes and making sure the other player's not trying to block us because uh, we wouldn't want to lose any of those main northern routes uh, just because once those were locked down, then it start to be inefficient. So we'd want to try to place things efficiently, but I would think we'd be in good shape. Like it would be really like uh, how are we drawing, how well are we getting lucky with like getting the colors we need? Uh, how aggressive is the other players? Because there's sometimes players, especially the AI players, that just start playing, playing, playing. And they're putting down routes, even if they're not connecting destinations. They're playing really fast. 
And if you get a couple of fast players, then we're going to be in last place. So this strategy that we played with that many destinations is really like a, it is an all or nothing thing, but it wouldn't be an all or nothing right away. Like uh, we would be in the game until the game ends and then we would probably either win or come in last. Yeah, but it, it it is a kind of it is a kind of aggressive play I do like to do for this for the bigger game. So I probably would, and you'll find out like with this one, it'd be like okay, there's just not enough taxis and cards to go for that many destinations, and then you could adjust in the next game. So that's a little bit about uh, this game, Ticket to Ride. It's a great game. Buy the uh, app version. I'll have to, maybe I'll buy the new, yeah, I'll buy the new app version and let you know. So when this comes out, uh, what the latest version is like, uh, so that, yeah, you say, okay, Scoots, I'm going to, I'll pay whatever, 10, 20 bucks. That's how, I mean, it's definitely worth it to me. And also by the time this episode comes out, I've played a lot of this, uh, home version. Uh, so yeah, let me, uh, let me tuck you in there. Hope you have dreams of, uh. Uh, choo choo chewing and bus bus busting off to dreamland. Good night. All right, hey everybody, it's uh, time for like a random episode or trending Tuesday episode that could come out on a Wednesday or Sunday, or kind of like this is we've only done this once with the show, and I've been wanting to do it again, and then I was like, uh, like I'll explain it, but then I realized that there'd have to be outreach, uh. And I kept putting it off because they said, well, uh, you know, Max is really the only person that I kind of know on the Internet that's involved in the gaming business. And I don't I don't know if I know Max T. well enough. Uh, another personal hero, somebody that's really out there uh, uh, doing great things out there in the world and making great podcasts in addition to games. Uh, Max T. at Cards. Uh, but uh, even that, I said, well, that would take too much thinking and worrying to get a hold of Max. Uh, so I said, okay, let's just put this idea on the shelf again, Scoots, till, uh, they, they, till that Wizard of Oz thing happens and they give me the courage certificate uh, and I can hang that up in the podcast studio. But then I found myself in, in beautiful downtown Oakland, California, with some extra time on my hands. And I wandered into a game shop, and I, uh, so this will be the setup. Uh, so, uh, I guess, uh, I, I don't know, I, I always do things a little bit out of order. But so I've been meaning, so now I'll jump it back. I guess this is like a meander, or this is more like a bend, or maybe this is a distraction. I'm not sure. Uh, wait, anyways, think of something. No, I'm just kidding. But so I've been meaning to get a new game anyway uh, for Sophia and I to pe- play at the, at the dinner table because of all the like uh, luxury problems I have. I constantly have to be discipline- disciplining Sophia for reading at the dinner table. I mean, not really, unless we're usually in the morning. I say, can can you put that book away? You got to eat breakfast. Uh, uh, but usually at dinner, I say, well, let's let's get some more bonding in here. And I say, you know, I can only do. If you listen to podcasts, you know, say, well, I got, you know, I need subtext in my life, uh, not just in my, in, in the fiction and nonfiction I consume, but in order to handle the real world, I needed like uh, subtext and layers. So I said, well, what about some family bonding, competitive family bonding at dinner? We'll get some, let's get a new game to play at the dinner table. And, so I found myself in this board game store, and I said, okay, let's look. And I was looking around, 
And I was the only person in there because it was the middle of the day. And the person working or maybe the owner of the store uh, or the manager was like, hey, can I help you? And at first I, like at first I said, let's not – I didn't say this, but I, I gave the look. I said, no, let's not do that. Let's just uh, – like uh, I'm not, I can't handle that yet. He said, give me about 15 minutes to peruse or fake peruse. Uh, and I looked at some games and – uh, then, and I was actually buying time. So then I said, uh, they said, well, can I help you? And I told them, I said, I'm looking for a two player game. Uh, like we, I could play at the dinner table with my imaginary friend. I didn't, I should have said that. That would have been funny, but I didn't. And, uh, yeah, he said, okay. And I said, what do you think of this game here? And he said, it's a pretty good one. And we were talking about it. And then he kind of was like, what about a game? And I, and I didn't tell him this, but I said, it has to be a card game because I took the bus and I got to put it in my pocket. Uh, but he steered me towards a couple actual board games because it was a board game store. And the, then uh, and then we were talking games for a little bit. Uh, and I said, I think I'm going to get this one. Then I said, then I said like, uh, I, I said, okay, like, uh, we also want to, like, you, you Use your facilities, uh, but I'm really going to buy this. Don't worry. And so I bought this game, and and that leads into the like uh, why is like uh, like we did the Goonies game unboxing back in Goonies week, whenever that was. I, I think it was in 2017. I don't know if it was in the spring or the summer. And I said, man, that was really fun, like uh, unboxing. This will be more of an unwrapping and box opening because it's a card game. And so I haven't reached out to the manufacturer or the creator of the game. So this is what's interesting. It's very rare. I mean, I guess I could put it out anyway because it's like free advertising for the game. And I think if I just credit them, I'm covered. But uh, I think of a courtesy, I would reach out to them and, say, and they say, oh, no, no, I tried your podcast. Like in case it's a person that's left a one-star review, they say, I tried your podcast. Uh, but I don't think so. And I think like... It's a good thing, and ideally this will be a very immersive. Now, there will be occasional sound effects. I mean, not sound effects, but uh, I'll try to keep it off the mic, but there will be slight uh, uh, unwrapping because it still has a cellophane on it. So I, this is a true unboxing because I think going into it fresh, it brings the thrill of the unboxing videos without the unboxing, without the tech. You know, the tech products are usually what un un get unboxed and yeah, so this is so so this will be good. So um, I'm gonna unwrap it first, so that there's only a little bit of uh, thing, and then I can crossfade too. So if it if it is, so I'll stop talking and unwrap it, and maybe leave the sound effect in. But there, you just heard a little bit of it. Okay, so let's get the credits out here first, uh, and, and ideally it'll be in the show notes and the link, and I'll have permission. But the game is uh, trademarked, uh, but I'm going to say the name of the game last. It's by Keith Baker, K-E-I-T-H Baker, and the manufacturer is uh, Atlas Games, but the copyright is uh, 2015 Trident Inc., uh, doing business as Atlas Games, and... Uh, the names of the games are trademarks of uh, Trident Inc. All rights are reserved, so I don't know. Uh, but what I'm just going to be doing is uh, I won't use any pictures of the game. So this is all in your imagination. 
And you could check out their games at atlas-games.com or just Google Atlas Games. Or better yet, go to your local game store. And here's the big reveal. The name of the game is, is, is and you know I love titles and, and, and humor, is Fairy Tale Gloom. And it, it's the size of a double pack of cards, uh, so a rectangle. And then it says, The Game of uh, Grim Incidents and Unhappily Ever Afters. And on the cover, it has a, a wolfie poo in bed. And then a cat, a cat in boots, I guess puss in boots with an apple, giving it to Wolfie Pooh. Uh, there's also some hidden cookies. Then there's um, a, a tree, like a woodcutter that's made of wood coming in. So that's the cover, the front art, and it's really, really good art. And then here's the teaser on the back. And there is an original game called Gloom, and I was struggling between and this is where I say I'm growing as a person in a second I'll tell you but uh the original game Gloom looked pretty good too especially for my daughter we're big into we watched uh all the Adams family movies like uh the first two uh like a, a lot of times and uh and I think she read um she's read a lot of his books so this is kind of humor yeah, but then I said, oh, and then so then I asked the person, I said, this fairy tale gloom, is, is it an expansion pack? Do I need the original gloom, gloom, uh, or can I play it? And he said, no, no, you could play it by itself. Uh, and I said, terrific. I said, sold. If I can use your bathroom, this pack of cards is sold. Uh, and it, it was, uh, yeah, so, I, so yeah, deal with, I said, you have yourself a deal, uh, contingent on restroom usage. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so here we go. This is the back. It says, uh, let's see. I mean, some of them, the delightfully, uh, the delightful yet untimely, uh, not so great stories of childhood. And I'm changing some of this around, paraphrasing it. Let's face it. Fairy tales are awful. Uh, giants, uh, fall from the sky, uh, wolfy poos and old women, uh, uh, chase, you know, run around, uh, uh, people take porridge uh, without permission, and tall tell tales of uh, stuffy stuffing. Uh, fairy tale gloom is a card game about what really happens to characters. Fairy tale characters like Jack, Gretel, and Puss in Boots. Uh, un- unf- unfortunate uh, thingamajigs where heroes get tricked by foxes, give up on grandma, and cry woofy poo too many times. And here's what this person at the game store really liked. It has award-winning gameplay with clear cards. Uh, unique transparent cards stack on top of each other to make scoring easy. Uh, the points you see are the points in play. It's that simple. And it's for two to four players. It takes 60 minutes, age 13 and up. So if he is uh, a strong 10, so I'd say... Uh, you know, I'd say, I, I guess, uh, well, we'll see when I look at these cards, because she, she hasn't seen the game. She knows I have it. I said, uh, I said, yeah, we're going to play this game this weekend. Yeah, okay, so I'm opening the box, and there are two things of cards in here. And, uh, and then, so I'll open the cards. I'll be right back.
Okay, and, and when I was opening the cards, I accidentally found the instructions. I thought the instructions might be card size, but they're in the box. So we'll do the, um, kind of like we did with the Goonies game, we'll go through the uh, cards and, and figure out if we can determine the gameplay. Uh, the cards are clear and uh, comes with two card effect cards, which we'll look at last, because those probably tell some secrets. Uh, and so this is the first deck of cards. It comes with uh, Snow White, uh, who is the fairest of them all. And she's got an, an unfortunate appetite for uh, apples. And again, the art is really creative, and there's like uh, a lot of extra art on the cards. Uh, and then on the back of it, it says Gloom. So I don't know if like you flip these cards over, must be part of the gameplay. Uh, the next card is a Little Mermaid. Uh, a fish out of water, and she's kind of sitting there. She's not Ariel. She's uh, she's kind of she has really big eyes, and she's uh, leaning on a rock with a bird on it, and she's kind of staring either at the water or her, or her tail. Oh, I guess her tail, because it says she's trying to get a leg up in her pursuit of love. And there's even like a. Uh, like it, it's like their pictures are framed, and at the top of a frame is a book, and at the bottom of it is the uh, uh, the masks uh, from like comedy and tragedy. And again, really detailed. Uh, next up is uh, Joe the Giant. Uh, he's a, co- a co- occasional ogre or org, ogre, 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 ogre. I always got it. Remember. Uh, I get that Oregon ogre. It's O G R E though. Ogre, og, ogre, org. At some point in my childhood, maybe I got Ork and Org mixed. You know, I got those two mixed up permanently, and I burned a pathway in my brain. And he is a purple person, like a kind of purple giant with uh, pointy ears, and he's scratching. It looks like he's scratching his chin. And he actually's dressed, so he has a belt on and a vest, a uh, button-up vest and pants, no shoes. I can't tell. You know, this is a the podcast closet, so uh, pretty interesting. And it says he just wants to make an honest living, collecting bridge tolls and selling golden eggs. And he's contemplating. It looks like he's contemplating um, a vine. Uh, next card is the prince, who's remarkably charming. And he looks like a kind of prince you'd see in, like, a, the fractured fairy tales with uh, Bullwinkle the Moose. Uh, those used to be out when I was a little. He likes uh, Sleeping Beauty's long hair. Uh, dislikes witches, thorns, no frogs, please. And he's doing the thing where you put your thumb up and you point at a person when you, like, go click-click with your mouth, like, hey... Looking good. He's doing that move, and he's a giant grin. You know, like a $1,000 smile. He's wearing a purple cape, which is flowing in the breeze, a hat with a feather in it, and, like, really sharp. I mean, very very, uh, fairytale prince-like. Now, this could be our first controversy, because all of the seven dwarves are on one card. They can't be happy about that. You'd say, who is it, Grumpy or Grouchy, would say, what the heck, we only get one card? It says, a band of brothers. Uh, They've been grumpy ever since the dragon stole their gold. Wait, is that the right story? 
And the light in here is not ideal, so I can't, especially with clear cards. Uh, but there's definitely seven of them. These look like a, more, a little more human. Uh, they all have beards uh, and different style mustaches and beards, different shades of gray, uh, red, and brown. And they're kind of all cramped into the frame. And they're really, like, looking hard. And here's one of our favorite cards, uh, the stepmother, frequently L-I-V-E or E-V-I-L. Is that the first time I realized that E-V-I-L and L-I-V-E were the same, uh, reversed? Uh, It's not her fault. She was misled by her mirror. And she's looking, uh, I can't tell, like, if she's side-eyed or what, uh, but there is a mirror in the background, her hands on her chin, and she has a sharp chin, and her hair's not, I can't tell if that's her hair or she's wearing, like, uh, some sort of a veil or head head covering. Um, she's She does not look very charming at all, though. Nothing like Agatha. And here's another character from Sleep With Me, uh, kind of, the witch. Uh, often, this one, often wicked, wicked awesome. I, I added that. Uh, uh, she's got kids uh, at her cottage and farmers uh, taking her grains, enough to make anyone cast a curse. And this witch is like uh, stirring a cauldron with a ladle. Looks like she's about to taste it. Uh, she has one eye closed and one eye open. It looks like she almost has a marsupial pouch with some sort of um, a friend of hers in it. And she has, the like, I like this. She has the witch's hat, but it, it ends in, like, a curly cue, kind of like from Nightmare Before Christmas-style uh, art um, versus being pointy. Uh, so that's a witch. This one is Wolfie Pooh. Uh, both big and bad. Uh, he'll huff and he'll puff, uh, and he might just uh, go visit your grandmother and give her a kiss, Wolfie Poo. And this has a like a shadow. It's all in shadows, but it kind of shows a smiling Wolfie Poo, uh, ready to howl at the full moon, and say, "Hey, I'm here to lick and kiss anyone who needs it." Uh, then we have the woodsman. Uh, Helpful Huntsman. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. I think that's from, um, I, I can hear that song now in my head, uh, Monty Python, I think, sang it. And he looks very serious. Uh, he's got, he's ready to cut some wood. He's wearing, it looks like mittens, uh, from what I can tell. A very full beard and a full head of hair. A thick green jacket on, so he's ready to go out in the woods and chop some wood. How much wood would a woodman, woodsman wood? Yeah, I guess we need a W. How much wood would a woodsman whack? Uh, doesn't quite fit, but uh, that's the woodsman. And then is Goldilocks. Uh, this is she's a furniture critic. Uh, and she looks like a grouchy kid, a little bit like a like a, a younger Veruca Sol. And she's going to come in, and and she may sleep in your bed or use your chairs. Uh, and she kind of looks a little bit like she's pouting, and she's looking at a chair. 
it doesn't exactly like it look like a kid you'd want, even if you were, you know, surprised sleeping in your house, especially if you were one of three little bears. Okay, now we're into a different kind of card. So these cards were the character cards, seemingly. And they're clear. All the cards are clear, as I said. And, uh, but they have black, white writing on black backgrounds. Uh, and the backs of the cards all say gloom uh, uh, with a crow or raven on the back. Uh, so I guess when the card's not in use, you turn it to gloom or when you can no longer use it in the game. Now, these next cards is probably some kind of action card. Uh, they're black writing on a blue background. And again, lots of details. Like in the four corners of these cards, one has a set of scissors, another has an apple, another has a mushroom, and then the last one has a bottle of something. And then the pictures still have a frame. And let's see, this one says, Pay the Piper. It looks like it has boots with wings on it. Um, maybe. And it says all players, including you, must uh, remove one unfinished character from the game. Uh, then remove this card from the game. It also has a single pip on it. Uh, so I don't know if that's a number, like uh, like just a single circle. It looks like some sort of dice pip, just bigger. Uh, but I don't know if that's just so you can see it through the cards. Uh, and uh, so, I don't know, so I guess, like, that's interesting. We already learned that you, there's unfinished characters in the game. So that's Pay the Piper. Uh, the next card is Emperor's New Clothes. Okay, so it still has the same picture in the frame of, like, uh, uh, boots and the woodsman's tools and some other stuff. Uh, and this says, discard all modifier cards on one unfinished character. So these must all apply to one unfinished character. And I guess I do wonder if this game's going to be a little bit like um, Munchkin, where you like uh, have a character and then you can add all these modifiers around them. Uh, this one says, the Galoshes of Fortune. That's funny. Uh, choose two unfinished characters and swap their top modifier cards. So it's interesting. Uh, so it is like characters with modifier cards. So this is, uh, we're learning. And all these cards have had one pip on them. Uh, next one is movie rights. Uh, place this card under a story card. For the rest of the game, that story cannot be moved. Uh, this one is the love's true love's kiss. Uh, cancel and discard an unhappy ending card as it's played. Or remove and, and discard an unhappy ending card from a character. So this seems like a powerful card, very powerful. Uh, hold on to that one. Uh, lived in a shoe. This one has different art. It says the end, uh, like in a like a book, and it says uh, worth an additional plus ten uh, with the money icon. It's a tight fit, but it's got a bit of soul or got a lot of soul. That's hardy har har. So maybe these are story cards. Uh, Make a nice make a nice meal worth an additional minus ten uh, for the goblet or uh, flying bird card. According to three bears, you were just right. 
Uh, here's another one that says, make one last meal. Again, it says it has a picture of the book. It says the end. You could play this unhappy ending card on any unfinished character with the sun icon, regardless of a self-worth score. You know, so there's another learning opportunity. There's a self-worth score. I wonder if I could keep these in my pocket. Uh, it's the deal of a lifetime, literally. One one last deal. Uh, never came home. Uh, this one is worth an additional minus 10 with the bird icon. Home is where Wolfie Pooh is waiting in Granny's nightgown. Uh, forgot, to, didn't wake up to their alarm. Uh, it's worth an additional minus 10 with the uh, star or uh, um, uh, bust icons. Uh, you snooze, you lose. I mean, bust like... Uh, the bust of a, like, a, the head of a statue. Use the wrong cup. Worth an additional minus 10 with the cup icon. You chose poorly. Uh, this one used up nine lives. Uh, you didn't just waste your time. You wasted nine. Yeah, I'll try to speed through these ones. Uh, uh, had to deal with the stepsisters. Uh, that's, n- you know, negative. Uh, Maybe you shouldn't have called them ugly stepsisters quite so often, huh? Uh, his carriage turned up late. Uh, it's nearly midnight, and the pump, pumpkin driver's late. And this is the last one, and this one uh, worked far too hard. Uh, hi-ho, hi-ho, oh no. Now we're on to a new style card. Uh which seems to utilize this must be a modifier card because it uh, is clear where the uh, in the center of the card is clear, like there's no art. So if you had a um, person in fr- a framed person or place, uh, it would go over it. Then it has a circle with a negative ten on the left corner. In the middle right, it has a negative fifteen circle, and then on the right side, it has a wand. And it says, uh, oh, least new legs. It says, and the player to your right may randomly select and keep one card from your hand. They're all yours for a song. Well, all your songs. Uh, this one is a negative 25. It has a money symbol and a love symbol. It's about getting married. It says mar- getting married. Uh, so these ones are not super interesting, uh, Met, met Wolfie Pooh. So these are like, like modifier cards. Needed to know a name. Ne- these are all negatives. So I don't know if you're supposed This might be one of those games where you're supposed to lose points. Purloin uh, some porridge. That's uh, pretty funny. So the writing in these games is really good. Uh, uh, saved both slippers. Uh, shouldn't have strayed. Uh, here's a new card, though. Uh, this one has uh, Sleeping Beauty in the middle under spotlights, and it says, uh, Slipped off into slumberland. Uh, and if you get this one, you can't play an event card. It's got negative 10, negative 10, negative 10. Uh, so you probably don't want that one. It kind of skips your turn. Here's one with a plus 10 or minus 25. Uh, took a sword from a stone. 
Um, each player whose uh, family has a wand icon and it must discard all event cards from their hands. Uh, don't be a sword loser. So again, this is uh, allergic to apples. This card is negative 10. Uh, who takes fruit from a stranger anyway? Uh, was caught by a curse. Uh, that's negative 30. Definitely don't want that one. Uh, Wish to have the curse reversed. Uh, you'll need a certain potion first. Uh, discard your entire hand. Uh, fooled by fairies. Uh, they don't play fair. Uh, fooled by a fox. Uh, you didn't want those cards anyway. Uh, so there's a pretty like uh, robust number of these cards that I'm going to try to skip over here. And let's see. It is cool that they they do have a card feel to them, even though they're clear and there's they're pretty stiff. Uh, then there's one with a frog prince uh, uh, sitting on a lily pad. It flies nearby. And it says was turned into a toad. Uh, your draw limit is decreased by one card. Try not to croak. And it says negative ten, negative ten. And let's see here. So here's a little hint into the um, rules, because uh, these are like the hint the cards uh, on your card. Uh, first, to take two actions uh, from among these options: play an event for, for its effect, then discard it. Uh, play a modifier on a character and leave it there. Uh, play an unhappy ending on a character with negative self worth uh, as your first action only. Even though it's no offense, but I said, well, that's C on the list. Uh, I would make it A. Uh, claim a story if your family meets its requirements. Uh, discard your entire hand or pass your action by doing nothing. Uh, then second, uh, so first you can take two actions. Then you can draw up uh, back up to your draw limit, which is five, unless you have an effect that's changed it. And then card effects, uh, there's different card effects uh, applied to the player who they were played on, uh, not necessarily the player who played them. There's immediate effects, uh, which are resolved right away. Uh, continuous effects, which continue, they each have a different symbol. The immediate effects is an arrow going to the right. Uh, continuous effects is a circle with an arrow inside it going to the left. Uh kind of like it can, I guess, uh, continues to affect the game for as long as their effects text is visible. Uh, persistent effects, which is two kind of circles uh, rotating in clockwise order. Uh, keep working for as long as the portrait picture remains visible, even if their effect text is covered. And then response effects can only be played during another player's turn in response to something specific. And then there's another deck of cards. But I'm going to skip the, like, action cards and go to the characters, and then we'll go to the rules. Uh, so here we go. These are the characters in the other deck. Baby Bear, who's a porridge enthusiast. Uh, nobody puts Baby Bear in a corner. And it's a bear looking at an empty bowl of porridge, unhappy. Uh, then there's a Barnabas Porker, an enterprising little pig. And uh, I just dropped all the cards on the floor. So, so but, but, so I'm going to keep going though, because uh, I don't like. I still have some character cards, but uh, just, just full disclosure, I went to turn and they all fell on the floor. 
except for the ones in my hand, which is Cinderella, a mysterious maid. And she's holding her glasses slipper, uh, kind of smiling. She's got glasses, slippers, and a pumped-up pumpkin. It's good to have a godmother. Uh, then we have a grandmother. <laughs> Your grandmother says, uh, as if her teeth weren't strange enough, uh, rumor has it she swallowed a fly. And it's kind of a picture of a sweet woman uh, with a watch on or something in bed uh, reading a book. Really, it's very charming. Uh, then we have Hansel and Gretel. It says Homewreckers. Uh, they look a little bit like a Charlie Brown drawing meets uh, Calvin and Hobbes. These kids will eat you out of house and home, really. And they're kind of eating uh, candy from uh, the house. Uh, then we have Jack uh, from Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, all of his problems amount to a hill of beans, and he looks very eager. He's just uh, climbing the uh, vine. Oh, then the wooden boy was Pinocchio from the cover, a living doll. He's a head by a nose. That's Pinocchio. Uh, how about Puss in Boots? Is a clever cat. Uh, and he's kind of got his eyes closed, and he's putting out his hand to get five. Uh, he's making his mark with his made-up marquee. Making his mark with his made-up marquee. Uh, then I have one uh, with the harp. Uh, like the singing heart or, or harp or whatever it says, uh, was rewarded with riches. And this seems to be a positive modifier card because it's got plus 10s on it. Uh, was the bell of the ball. That's a modifier plus 20. Uh, then there's one, uh, went back to bed. Uh, there's one from Beauty and the Beast became a beast. Uh, the, the discard uh, one card from your hand. Uh, so it's a negative modifier. Okay, I picked up the cards from the floor, but the podcast studio looks a little bit like, I don't know if you listen to Dear John and Hank, but how John says this car looks. Uh, it, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff on the floor of the podcast studio, papers and stuff. Uh, so hopefully I didn't lose any cards down there. But these other cards, there's some modifiers. Let's do some modifiers with pictures. There's the magic mirror, and the magic mirror looks like it's giving out bad advice. Uh, worth a negative 15 points. Uh, there's an ugly duckling card with a bunch of uh, duck ducklings. These must be family cards because this is a negative 10 points for each family member. Uh, brick house. Uh, cancel and discard cards. Uh, fee fi fo fum uh, Happy ending. Uh, into the woods. Uh, midnight. These must be the story cards, maybe. Uh, cried wolf one too often, once too often, uh, uh, dealt with, uh, some skin stuff, uh, became foam, uh, prepared a picnic, uh, let's see what else we got, uh, did a dance off, that looks fun, uh, was ravishing, uh, here's Rapunzel. She was one of the most been a character card. Fair-haired and balanced. Uh, she's not one to split hairs. Uh, Red Riding Hood, gran Granny's girl. She knows all too much about life in the hood. Uh, there's a Buddy Rumpelstiltskin, who's like a family card. Uh, Fairy Godmothers, uh, like must be a family card. Golden Goose. These look like good cards to have.
maybe not so, uh, uh, went up on a trip, uh, dealt with some things. Yeah, I had to fix the carts because I did a lot of them were upside down. Uh, uh, came down from the sky, uh, gets married, uh, nothing to do. So these are all like store end of story cards. Lived happily ever after. That must be a good one. Uh, brought down a beanstalk. That looks like a good, powerful card. Uh, found first love. Holy mackerel. This game's got everything. Uh, uh, got a gift from the godmother. Uh, came into a crown. That's worth plus 25. So keep an eye out for that. Carried a compass. Uh, outwitted by an org or an ogre, uh, which would be both for me. Uh, majestically. And that's the end of the card. So let's just take a quick look at the instructions because I can't, I can't really get a good idea of, uh, even after looking at the cards, I say, I have no idea how many, how many hours this is going to take me to learn the game and then have my daughter see through that I don't really understand the game and see the tactical advantage it gives her. This what usually happens with my dyslexia. My daughter uses this to say, well, dad, uh, I don't think it like it. I say, okay. So that's negative 5,000 for me, really. Uh, so this is the rules for fairy tale gloom. Not too, not too big. And there are quick start rules, which is nice. So the overview, overview is a character, each player has a family, and this will be paraphrased. Uh, four characters, uh, the players are trying to make their own family the most miserable while cheering up the other player's family. So that's what the uh, person at the store saying was fun. Uh, characters can become sad or happy pr pr primarily by having modifier cards played on them. And each modifier affects the character's mood. And there's event cards uh, you can play for immediate effects. As the game continues, the character's individual stories come to a close. One by one, as unhappy ending cards are played on them. When an entire family has had an unhappy ending, the game ends. Uh, and you tattle, 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 no, you total up uh, uh, the scores of how they're feeling, and the most miserable player wins the game. Okay, so you set it up by dividing the uh, 20 character cards on the table where everybody can see them, and each player chooses four. Uh, all cards are laid face up on the table in front of their owners where the other players can see and reach them and return any unused characters to the box. You don't use them. Uh, then you deal the cards. Set aside the story cards and the reference cards. Shuffle the rest of the cards in the deck. Deal five cards to each player, face down, and put the rest of the deck in the center of the table with a discard pile. Uh, stories. Uh, randomly choose two story cards uh, and lay them face up where everyone can see and reach them, but where they won't be confused with the discard pile. This is going to be interesting with dinner plates involved. Uh, return the rest of the story cards to the box. They won't be used. Uh, begin. Each player briefly uh, summarizes the, how their day's going and how well it's not going. And the player with the roughest story gets to go first. Uh, the game's owner chooses whose tale is the most miserable if there's a disagreement. Okay, so quick start. Uh, rules in this section will get you started playing it right away. 
Uh, but there are card cardinal rules too, uh, which we kind of went up, uh, went through, uh, there's events that have immediate effects uh, and they're discarded. There's modifiers and there's unhappy endings. And you can take two actions and then make sure you have five cards in your hand. But that's not all. Uh, fairy tale gloom is the most fun when the player taking an action tells or continues a story. Oh, so this is also a storytelling game. Uh, think of it this way. You're creating a fairy tale with the cards you play. How is it that Cinderella became a toad? Uh, did she find a magic lamp or what happened? Uh, was it a leprechaun? Why was Pinocchio pursued by a prince? Uh, did he blow his nose on his pocket square? You decide and you let the other players, uh, you tell the other players in an interesting way. Uh, there are no formal rules for fairy tale gloom storytelling and no right answers. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Quite the opposite. Many Goon players think of telling tales as the best part of the game. Uh, fairy tale gloom cards are transparent in some areas and opaque in others. As the game goes on, cards are often stacked uh, on top of each other. Modifier cards on top of player character cards, uh, as well as on top of previous modifiers. Uh, as the modifier cards stack up, there's different... Uh, Worth values, uh, card effects, and story icons, icons that are covered up and replaced. Uh, the cardinal rule of fairy tale gloom in bold is that you only pay attention to what you can see. If worth points are concealed, they no longer affect the character's score. If a story icon is covered, the character no longer has it. Uh, and if effect is hidden, it no longer does anything. Persistent effects are the exception to this. Uh, uh, your cards have an anatomy here. There's the name, uh, what is the card called, the self-worth points uh, in different circles, the story icons, uh, the deck icon, the effects, the flavor text. Oh, boy, I love that flavor text. Uh, a delightful or dreadful bits of story and commentary that provide entertaining ambiance. Uh, flavor text is distinguished from effects text with italicies. Uh, uh, the portraits uh, are, are, are entertaining or comic and delightful to behold. Uh, some illustrations make it easy to, to tell cards apart. Modifiers never have in, in illustrations. Uh, unless they have a persistent effect. Other pictures make it easy to tell unfinished characters from finished characters, and all unhappy endings bear the same image. Uh, so we know that with an unhappy ending. Uh, so let's see. We've we got a few more minutes here. There's different types of cards. We went, we kind of went through that. Character cards, uh, event cards, uh, which uh, have names, effects, and share a common portrait image showing a pair of winged boots. Uh, so winged boots are the ones with the event cards. And I was right. And then the clear cards with just the circles are modifier cards. Uh, you can only play modifier cards on unfinished characters. So that is characters, oh, this is helpful. That is characters without unhappy endings. Uh, so the sooner you can put an unhappy ending on your character, uh, the sooner you have them locked in, I guess. Uh, uh, then there's unhappy ending cards. You can't play an unhappy ending as a second turn card. You can only play unhappy endings on a character with a negative worth score.
uh, once a character is, uh, sees their unhappy ending, set it aside in a way that is clear that it's finished. Uh, then there's story cards. Each uh, story cards have names and effects. Uh, each one has a unique purple portrait, and a special portion is uh, uh, it's a requirement, a type of and quantity of story icons, and they're never shuffled into the deck. Uh, and only two at a time are used uh, ever in a single game. Uh, game story cards begin the game uncontrolled on the loose and in the center of the table, not claimed by any player's family. In the course of play, though, any player can claim an uncontrolled story card by spending an action to do so, as long as the player's family meets the story requirements. Uh, for example, Rumpelstiltskin's... Uh, uh, requirement is two statue bust icons, and if your family collectively shows two statue buff icons, uh, you meet the requirements. And players can, you know, there's other stuff. There's uh, special actions like uh, discarding your hand and getting new cards uh, or passing. You can draw cards, a free play, so some modifier event can make you get a free play. Uh, there's a, there's a alternate roles. You can assign characters, uh, if you, you know, if people can't decide at the beginning, which characters are going to be, or give them out randomly, uh, randomly than randomly deciding on stories. You can choose stories uh, if the players can agree, or you can play a very simple fairy tale gloom and ignore every card's effect text. Uh, this can be a good way to learn the game for the first time with the younger children. And we went over the effect uh, categories, uh, but so let's get to the important stuff. Most uh, important for most children, but not all. Some like to actually have fun or just enjoy telling stories is winning the game. The game ends immediately and when all the characters in one family are finished. Uh, that is when they all have unhappy endings on them. When the game ends, each player adds up the worth cards and all this is going to be hard for me because adding negative and positive numbers is rough. Uh, each character's uh, values are as a sum of their point values showing in the stack. Uh, the player with the lowest total is the one who wins, whose family is the most miserable. And right here are the credits, so we'll see who did the art here. Uh, concept and game design is by Keith Baker. Producers are Michelle Nephew, Jeff Tidball, and Kyla McCorkle Tonding. Uh, the illustrations are by Jame Fabregat, uh, J A U M E F A B R E G A T. The layout is by Kyla McCorkle Tonding. Publisher is John Nephew. <clears throat> Here's a play tester, some lucky people Veronica Burns, uh, Cur Curtis uh, Chen. Uh, Kenna Conklin, I, mean, I, I don't know, I get some uh, see-through on this paper, so it's tough. Uh, Jen Ellis, uh, Veronica Ewing, uh, Richard Malena, J. Ryan Potts, Deanne Soul, Tristan Tarwater, and many more. And a special thanks goes out to Cam Banks, uh, Jessica Banks, uh, a bunch of other people. But I might as well say Bob uh, Brindelson, uh, Jerry Corrick, uh, Lisa Olson, and Travis Winter. And like I said, this game's copyrighted, but Atlas Games, uh, Trident Incorporated. Who would have known that Atlas Games is, or, or, or like, uh, 
run by a secret uh, giant corporation. I'm just kidding. Atlas Games and Trident Inc. Uh, don't get gloomy about it. So this is gloom, and uh, hopefully uh, soon, me and my daughter will have a fun-filled, gloomy evening uh, with this board game. And, you know, you can tweet me, get me on Twitter at Deer Scooter or something, and uh, ask me how it's going. Thanks.